I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am the always effervescent Tom Bionic. Always effervescent. You are right. There are some things that are for sure. Death, taxes, and your effervescence. It's true. It's fizziness. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you for another week. Mm -hmm. Um, These are crazy days for uh, Tom and I. And it seems like they just go by so quickly. We finish one show and it's time to start a new week. Man, things are spinning out of control in both of our lives. And the world, too, I might add. Oh, yeah, and there's this whole thing about the stock market can be in down like 65%. And, uh, yeah. You know. yeah, depression is the word today, it's I hear. The big D. You know, all the big-name people out there keep getting new superlatives to outdo each other. I uh, actually haven't noticed mm-hmm. because I have that strict no TV policy. Yeah, that's good for you. Well, hey, uh, we need to move on to the topic that we have for this week. Because yeah. We have a great guest this week, a very unique guest. Uh, we have Mr. Stephen Bassett, who is the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to talk about the impending societal crisis from extraterrestrial disclosure. Another slow Tuesday here on um, Future Quake. Just another humdrum <laughs> show. Uh, Stephen Bassett is a uh, the only lobbyist registered in Washington D.C. Yes. to try to get the government to fess up to the data that they have mm-hmm. about um, the presence of extraterrestrials on Earth. Yeah. Well, and and I think that's kind of one of the ways that uh, uh, you know our evangelical listeners might want to approach the show is. You know, what does this say about sort of from a theological, well, not a theological, well, but a that's the whole eschatological standpoint? A few yeah. years ago, we all might have laughed at a topic like this and thought mm-hmm. everybody was crazy. But if you've listened to Future Quake over the last few years, we've had respected theologians, prophecy teachers, others. <laughs> you show, may have been kicked out of a few churches well, if you listen to Future Quake for that. Well, that's true, <laughs> uh, including our guest, uh, but who have made a very plausible case mm-hmm. that this whole thing of at least a presumed or possible uh, ET. Uh, uh, the concept mm-hmm. it be sold as part of the last days yes. uh, kind of thing, and so in line with that, we're talking with someone who's really considered an expert and sort of at ground zero of all of the data collection of people in the government who are in the middle of all this, mm-hmm. uh, people who uh, uh, have come on the record, particularly smoking gun evidence like uh, documents, letters, things like that. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Bassett is a truth seeker. Now, this is not a typical Future Quake show. He's not a theologian or a pastor. In fact, he's not approaching this necessarily from a religious standpoint. But we're having him on for information purposes for our listeners who are diligent scholars and students. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're not going to really emphasize the spiritual thing too much in the in the 
discussion in the interview, but you and I are going to try to provide a little spiritual context at the Indeed. end of each segment. And these segments are going to go through Monday through Friday instead of Thursday this yes. week. So we, had, we went a little bit long, so we're just going to... And it gives us a little bit more time to, yeah. to focus on putting the uh, Christian context into the information. And I want to thank Mr. Bassett for making time for yeah. us. He's a very, very busy, in-demand kind of guy. And we really, we really appreciate it. He was a great, great guest, very, very gracious to try and make oh. things work. Yeah, that's right, and uh, we just appreciate him coming on a show like this, mm-hmm. uh, probably not knowing what he's getting into, mm-hmm. and uh, the information will be very enlightening, I think, by the time we get to Friday. Yeah. It'll give us a lot to chew on, to put it sort of in our biblical worldview mm-hmm. of what he has Chewing. to say. Well, with no further ado, we need to introduce uh, Mr. Stephen Bassett, Indeed. and you're, you're going to be in for a whale of a week this week. It's going to be really something to hear what he has to say, um, put your uh, biblical scholar hat on, and then we'll come discuss it. As soon as we get back. So, no further ado, All right. here's Mr. Stephen Bassett, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bialik. And we have a new guest with us this week, somebody Indeed. new that we've wanted to have on our show yeah. for several years, we, actually. We've been, we're excited about this. And uh, this is going to be a really treat for our listeners uh, out there who have not uh, encountered this gentleman, although you may have heard him on Coast to Coast or other uh, media outlets out there, but it's the first time on our show. Uh, we'd like to introduce Stephen Bassett, who is the Executive Director of the Paradigm Research Group. And we're going to talk uh, today about the impending societal crisis from extraterrestrial disclosure. And, uh, Mr. Bassett, I have to say it's a pleasure to finally have you on the Future Quake show. Uh, Mike Tom, it's uh, great to be with you. you got a, a very aptly named show because that's exactly <laughs> what's our way. Well, you know, it was hard for a guy named Dr. Future to find a good show name like that, so it just, just fit very well uh, together. Um, I yeah, really... yeah, funny how that worked out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was very convenient. Uh I tell you, I really appreciate you sticking to your word to me uh, to make a visit to our show as extremely busy as your schedule is. Uh, from when we met this past summer at the uh, IIIHS conference in Montreal, and I believe I met you some time ago at the uh, one of the crash retrieval conferences, actually. Um, and so I just just want to tell you, thank you so much for making time for our listeners. My pleasure. It's what I do. I'm an activist, and getting the information out to the public is uh, one of the key things that uh, I, I have to do. Well, uh, we're going to have a, a very important discussion today. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of an introductive uh, discussion about the nature of what you're doing and what some of the latest developments are. To begin our discussions today, uh, could you very uh, briefly share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how it led to your current position with your organization? The short answer is that in 1996, I, I founded Paradigm Research Group in, in uh, outside Washington, D.C., with one primary purpose. Uh, it wasn't complicated. It was to try to help build an advocacy movement that would uh, politically resolve the UFO issue once and for all. And uh, I did it that way because I was convinced that only a political uh, solution was possible. It wasn't about science at all. And um, from that point forward, for the last 13 years, We've been uh, building this network, building this movement, and uh, a lot has happened. A lot of progress has been made. Uh, the the first step in the resolution of the UFO issue, uh, for those that may not already know, is that the U.S. government or another government is, is going to have to come forward and, and acknowledge the extraterrestrial presence. 
Mm-hmm. They're going to have to tell the truth about this phenomenon. Uh, if they don't do that, we're not going to make any progress. So uh, what the focus of the advocacy movement is what we call disclosure. That's the prize that this activism is seeking. And disclosure is very carefully defined in our world and lexicon. Uh, it, it is not the dumping of all the records out. It's not the, the complete history and story of E.T. contacting human beings going back 20,000 years. All it is is the acknowledgement, the formal acknowledgement uh, of the extraterrestrial presence, the ETH, the, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, explaining the unaccounted uh, for uh, uh, phenomena, not the ones that were mistakes or were uh, uh, misunderstood, but rather the, unac- the, the unexplained. It's, it's acknowledging that that is, in fact, extraterrestrial in origin. Okay. Now, that is a big deal. How did you come to have an interest in this topic? I, well, not, it's not, uh, uh, it's not uh, surprising or anything. I, like a lot of guys, boys, particularly, I, I read lots of science fiction as a kid. Uh-huh. And, uh, so the idea of aliens and thinking about them was, was not unusual. That shared that in common with millions of young kids. Uh, the, the golden age of science fiction really got underway uh, just as I'm turning about 12 with the, the late 50s, as you know, when some of the greats of all time were, were emerging. Asimov and Heinlein and all these others. So uh, I read a lot of science fiction and, and just thought that was great. And then as, as I uh, went through life, whenever a UFO thing might turn up, I'd note it. I'd read an article if it was there so that I was sort of following it along. It, it wasn't going anywhere. You could sort of see that. And I had other things to do. I, mean, I had no idea how I would address it. I just knew it was there. And I and I was confident from age of 20 that it was clearly extraterrestrial. Nothing else made sense. Mm-hmm. So it just rode along. The issue rode along and, and silently uh, with me through life, but I never acted on it. Some people do. Some people would join a group uh uh, so we were joining groups, MUFON, GUFOS, or APRO, NICAP, uh, all the way back to the 40s, mm-hmm. late 40s and early 50s. But I didn't do that um, because I didn't see that as my interest. So, uh, it wasn't, so what happened was when I decided uh, much later in life that I, I really wanted to do something meaningful, that I wanted to get involved, not something meaningful, interesting, because I really had not been very happy with my life and, and, and uh, wasn't really going anywhere because I really didn't have a commitment. So it wasn't difficult to to to, to uh, under, come to understand that that issue had been riding along all those years, and that really was what I was interested in. I just never did anything with it, hmm. uh, and so I made that choice that that's where I was going to go. Like a kid makes a choice to go into medicine or law. Mm-hmm. I said, look, and I yeah, well, because I wasn't a kid, I, I didn't have a lot, I didn't have any more time to experiment with uh, and dabble. Uh, I had to make a hard decision, and I made the hard decision that this issue was very close to possibly exploding out into the open fully and possibly even to the point of disclosure and, and uh, full acknowledgement of eventually full contact. Hmm. So I said, boy, well, I, can't, I can't imagine anything more interesting than that. So I got involved starting, and actually I entered the field in January of 1995. Uh, uh, and then set up a program research group later that year. In 96? Um, yeah. So okay. it's been 13 years. 13 years. And and uh, I know you, you spoke uh, previously about 
be, becoming sort of a broad movement with a lot of other people uh, moving for this disclosure uh, from our from our governments and other entities. Um, right. What do you see as the niche that you set up for Paradigm Research Group in accomplishing that? H- how did you form that and the precise goal to to serve the greater cause? Well, interestingly enough, uh, it was it was fairly straightforward uh, because very few people had really approached this issue from the political perspective. It was they had sort of bought into the government's game, uh, which is, well, we can't give you any money, and we don't think there's anything there, and the universities are not going to deal with it, uh, and the press won't cover it. But look, go out there and, you know, look at the look at the skies and check out those reports, and if you can do some really good science and gather up lots of evidence and, and prove to us that, yeah, there is ETs here, well, we'll, we'll, we'll address that. And it was all a... It was all a hoax, in a sense. The government had no intention of that. But that was the game, and, and people were playing it. So it was, let's do form organizations to do sightings and research uh, uh, events that happen and interview people and put it in papers and journals and just pile it on, on top of the other. Mm-hmm. That was the old paradigm, um, and no one addressed politically. So when I made the decision that this is what I'm going to do, I virtually had the entire field to myself. Uh, in terms of the specifics, a lot of very specific things. Other people had been trying to get disclosure, trying to get move the government. There was a lot of legal efforts uh, going about all the way back to the uh, cause of the citizen uh, against UFO secrecy cause. It was founded by Peter Gerson and a couple of the gentlemen's name escaped me. Um, they, they were hoping to get it in court mm-hmm. because if they could get it in court – under some case or another, the law, the laws of the, the rules of discovery and what have you, would, and uh, testimony under oath would would allow the issue to be properly vetted. And, if, and there have been efforts to sort of influence the Congress. So there's always been some political advocacy, but it never really coalesced. Mm-hmm. It wasn't complete. So uh, in rapid fire, which is great, it's like. You got the field to yourself. I guess you can just run down the field and score a touchdown every time, right? Which is um, true about I, life in general, isn't it? A lot of times you find a void like that. Some people say, well, gee, how come nobody's doing that? But it creates opportunities when you can sort of defi- define the approach. Yeah, you're the only person in find it, matter how big it is. So I, um, I, I registered in, mid, in the summer of 96, I registered as a lobbyist on this issue for the Congress under the proper rules on behalf of several organizations. Pro bono, didn't matter. And I was the first person to ever do this. So it got the attention of the media. That they thought that was interesting. Hmm. No one has done this. You know, that's a classic that's a classic human history story. Resulted in press and some media coverage, which got me exposure and got me going. Uh, later on I founded the first political action committee. Have I ever done that? Devoted to this issue. Again, sending out the message issue of this magnitude, you had a political action committee, so there it is. And then I ran for Congress, uh, only the second person on a federal ballot to raise the issue in the campaign, on the ballot now, not some one of 400 primary candidates on a Democratic-Republican side, mm-hmm. uh, and independent by virtue of signatures. The only other person to have done it at that date, to that time, this was 2002, was Jimmy Carter in, in 1972. Uh, uh, so... Um, or rather, uh, 76. So uh, this this was another first, and that garnered some more attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I helped other initiatives. Other people were jumping into this, and 
and some other people had been working on it since 1990. They were getting more exposure. I was facilitating them. I, I have links to all of this on my website. Uh, some websites you'll go and all the links will just point inward to the site. Right. I have over 10,000 external links on my site pointing out the other stuff. Uh, so there's other initiatives and projects are turning up, and I would help them to the extent possible. And, and slowly there's a, there's a more uh, structured, though still loosely structured because we're talking cyberspace now. Mm-hmm. A, a movement began to emerge. It wasn't wasn't marches on Washington and you know, 500,000 people in the mall, which cost a fortune to do. It was coordinated activity, websites, bulletin boards, forums, and so forth, addressing the issue on the Internet. The Internet, of course, has totally transformed the work towards uh, disclosure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I, I was uh, doing these, getting these first. Right, and that 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 was powerful because nobody else was doing so. I did them. It was, it was sending a message that this is normal. This is what should happen, and it, it's like raising the flag. It's like um, uh, establishing some credibility because if you don't have a package, you don't have a lobbyist, then then the issue can't be that important, right? And then I then I founded the X conference, which was the first exo, in my opinion, exo politics based conference. There have been others that touched on it up to then, but this was ExoPolitics Expo. That's that's the core of the conference. And ExoPolitics being defined as? ExoPolitics has a dictionary that is fairly basic, which I have been pushing for some time. It gets moved around because of the nature of Wiktionary. I think most people know what I'm talking about when I say Wiktionary. But the term is also in the Webster Open Dictionary. It has not been accepted yet as a formal word. It will Mm -hmm. be soon enough. Uh, but the ba- it's a basic definition. Uh, you think of politics now, think of exopolitics. Uh, exopolitics is the, 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 the sum total of all, it is, it is the political and social engagement and implications of the extraterrestrial presence. Uh, that covers a lot of territory. It covers mm-hmm. government policy. It covers government political actions. It covers, it covers uh, political actions on the part of citizens. It, it, it would include things like the truth embargo, which is a very political act designed to influence uh, the people's awareness, uh, and everything else that that uh, we can ma- properly manifest as politics would go under the the, uh, the uh, rubric of exopolitics, and, and that term was founded in 2000 and assigned that kind of term, uh, that kind of definition, by Alfred Weber. So he's the father of exopolitics. So let me, let me see if I summarize here. You you, you took. Um a common quest that people have about a frontier issue that some people considered maybe not maybe not politically correct uh, that was uh, some people considered taboo or for whatever reason you, you said look everybody has a real interest in this nobody's willing to step forward and say and and then you also saw that to get credibility in Washington you have to speak their language you have to approach any kind of uh, crusade in a manner that they can relate to. And so you took the bull by the horns, first person ever to say, I'm going to register myself as a lobbyist. Right. I'm going to form a political action group. I'm going to do these kind of mechanisms and means, even with minimal funding or negligible funding, to, to do the things to actually build a foundation where none existed 
to, to actually bring something. I sort of call it the stone soup approach. You, you sort of had soup <laughs> in your stone, and now you know people finally started throwing the peas and carrots and other kind of things. And now you're really the guy who's the, the flag bearer of the, the institution of exopolitics, that all of these uh, big-name politicians and others see you as the guy who is the, the cutting-edge person in uh, addressing government on behalf of the citizenry to, to fess up to what's really going on. Is that, is that a good summary? Uh, Mike, I think you over you over ran the runway there. Uh, you landed the plane, but you ran off the end of the runway. Uh, we we uh, there, there are plenty of people that don't see me as the flag bearer. Uh, I'm one of many leaders that have been emerging. And um, what I did was those were markers. Those were those were not trial balloons, or they were markers. They were they were raising the flag. They were saying. We should have this, and there it is, and we should do that, and there it is. We should have a conference, and there it is. So these were things that could be done, and done relatively cheaply right. relative to uh, certainly other activism. Very little money has been put in this field by, by philanthropists and supporters, astonishingly little. But thanks to the Internet, which mm-hmm. changed everything, uh, it's possible to build movements virtually in virtual space. And this is a and real lesson to everybody. That. This is a lesson to everybody out there who has a real passion about something, that all it really takes is initiative these days and, and a ton of patience. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and sure. you can see things where you need to get, and that's why you're a real role model in that respect. Did, have you had anybody else who's been a major key factor in supporting you financially or another kind of support or moral support or other things in your work? Well, the amount of funding that I've been able to in years, it's, it's modest, very modest, and, and so it's been tough. But thanks to the internet, you can do a lot with very little. If we'd have had proper funding, the truth embargo would have been over years ago. Mm-hmm. But so this, uh, this has all been like you know, like five and ten dollar kind of deals from a, a ton of people. That sort of a Ron well, Paul kind of fundraising approach. That would have been one? enough. That yeah. would have been enough, Mike. I was thinking like a stone. I lost forty forty thousand in the first X conference, ten in the second one, another seven or eight in the third. So I mean, I lost about forty some thousand, and I went through all of my own money uh, and inheritance and other funds, and maybe a quarter million dollars. So no, you just grind, you're being grind down. But the reason for that is that this field is unlike any other field, any other activist movement in history. The government has has deliberately intervened in the very fact finding process. It is it has misrepresented the issue, lied about the issue, put out disinformation, manipulated the press, put articles in the tabloids. Silence witnesses internally, sometimes silence witnesses externally. Uh, it, it's of course an, a rigged game and and uh, a, a totally out of balance. This is weirdness, but that's what happened. Uh, it's like uh, an absurd analogy would be like people forming an anti-war movement and they all get together and they hold meetings and they put flyers and they march out in the street and they're marching up and down saying going to stop the war. And the media comes up to you and interviews you and say, well, you guys are kind of strange because, uh, you know, there is no war. Right. And people right. are putting war. Well, there's no war because the government said there's no war. It's no war. They're not sending troops anywhere. You say, well, no, no, no. We got photos of the troops overseas. We got firsthand witnesses that were there. And we have film. And so there's a war. And the government said, no, no, no. Those photographs are fake. The film is low quality. The witnesses, of course, you can't be trusted. You can't trust witness testimony. Uh, there's no war. Now imagine trying to be an activist under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's absurd. That, that The analogy I gave is absurd. Clearly we would know there was a war. The news would cover it. It would be lots of evidence, certainly film and still photos and, and people coming back. 
we, but in fact, that's exactly what the government did with the UFO issue. They did they they did a process on the subject and the people in it that is very nasty, very effective, and it's been used by nations and nation states for years. Mm-hmm. And that is, they intellectually ghettoized it. They, they created a, a, a ghetto, a walled-in area, perhaps in a way, where the walls were made of ridicule. And everyone that touched the issue was thrown into that ghetto, and, and everyone knew that they were to be, uh, you were to keep your distance from them. We're back here at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, the effervescent one, bionic. And that was our first segment with Steve Bassett. Indeed. Very different kind of guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a very uh, well-respected. Very popular and demand guest, uh, one of the top guests on Coast to Coast. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the first time, I, I've not heard every interview he's ever done, but this is one of the first times I got to hear a little bit of his background and what motivated him mm-hmm. to get into this. I've never heard that before. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was interesting that he just, you know, like we were talking just a minute ago, he thought he was, uh, uh, he was a little bit unhappy with what was going on in his life, so he decided to kind of do this thing. Yeah, he said he, said he was going nowhere in life. Yeah. He just felt like he had no... No direction or purpose, and yep. latched onto this and had an interest mm-hmm. uh, in this. Mm-hmm. And, and I just want to say, even though we've not approached this from a spiritual Christian standpoint, as far as uh, his discussion, he's just laying facts out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that uh, it appears to me, uh, unless you know other motives are with with people that we talk about, that he is a truth seeker. He really mm-hmm. wants to know what the truth is. Yes, and I re- at least respect that. Sure. That, well, that he wants to, you know, find out what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just challenge all of our listeners out there. If you find yourself in a position like uh, uh, Mr. Bassett, you feel like your life's not going anywhere, you don't know really how to focus it, the Lord has all sorts of wonderful things that you could do. Mm-hmm. Even crazy weird stuff like we're doing here on Future Quake. Yeah. I don't, sometimes I wonder what we're doing, and then I get a great email from a listener. And Where something's out. changed their life. Yeah. Or they yeah. went and been baptized, or yeah. they've they made different got, changes in their life. They went and got wet because... Uh, <laughs> We mentioned it on Future Quake, you know. Yeah, the Lord has wonderful things for each one of you, mm-hmm. and um, we hope to inspire you to let you know that anything is possible. Uh, seeking truth uh, can still be done in the context of serving the Lord. Mm-hmm. You don't have to choose one or the other. No. Uh, in fact, uh, Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." And that that's one of my catchphrases for my life, I think. So uh, t- uh, that's right. And and uh, pursuing truth is a goal of our show. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the Lord is always in the place wherever the true truth is. Indeed, sir. Sometimes that's harder to find than what we think, mm-hmm. but we know he's there. Yeah. And speaking of telling us the truth, I think Merv could tell us some, lay down some good there's truth for truth us. Truth seeker right there. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us here at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's it for today. Any last words? Um, can't wait for tomorrow. It should be interesting. We're going to get more hot and heavy uh, the next few days. But uh, until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a wonderful day. Join us next time 
as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am his royal fizziness, Tom Bionic. That's your correct title there. It's great to be back with all of y'all today. Yeah. And this is the second day of our uh, interview with Stephen Bassett, mm-hmm. who is the executive director of the Paradigm Group, Paradigm the Research Paradigm Group. Research Group, yes. And uh, we're going to have an interesting talk of t- today about the impending societal crisis from extraterrestrial disclosure. Yeah. And if you are a brand new listener to the Future Quake on the radio dial, you probably think, what in the world has happened? Who has taken over that radio station? Well, you know, one of the things that we do here on Future Quake is we like to take uh, topics that everybody might be a little bit afraid to touch. Mm -hmm. Um, But we take it from a biblical worldview. We are are Bible-believing Christians, born again. The Bible is the Word of God. And uh, we just take those those topics that people aren't sure what to do with and then roll them up into a big taco and... (laughs) Yeah, that's it. And then, uh, the Bible taco. What they taste yeah, like. yep. yeah. We uh, we pursue truth because mm-hmm. that's the direction where the Lord is. Mm-hmm. We appreciate people who are truth seekers mm-hmm. and uh, people who have information that can help us put in context what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. If you've listened to our show any length of time, you notice that in prophecy writers and others, even the mainstream ones, they're starting to talk about this whole hubbub about uh, UFO and ET disclosure mm-hmm. and is it going to be a part of an end time scenario? Isn't it, isn't it interesting that it seems to me like you know. Physics and biology and all of that stuff seem to be taking this. There are these huge philosophical discussions going on, and theologians have taken uh, this turn into like alien disclosure and what all that means and stuff. You know, guys well, the, like Tom Horn and stuff talking well, about the sons of God and everything. And even the Roman Catholic Church mm-hmm. is already spending a lot of their time talking about, you know, even if you want to stick in your head in the sand and avoid this, if you turn on the History Channel, Discovery Channel, mm-hmm. it's a main topic of discussion. It's not because nobody's interested. It's because they are. That's the way they have these kind of shows. That's that's why there's always these shows on. Yeah. And uh, like I said, the Roman Catholic Church is already trying to develop a theology They've mm-hmm. already said with the presumption that there will be some disclosure like this sometime. Mm-hmm. So evangelicals sort of need to catch up a little bit. And we have people like Tom Horn and others who have been on our show that have been good at that. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're talking to uh, Stephen Bassett today who actually is sort of an investigator who has a lobbying group to just find out just the facts of what people in our government know about this, try to find any kind of evidence that's there, mm-hmm. and try to apply pressure to get them to, to open up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's I find very, that fascinating. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. Yeah, and those of you interested in prophecy, uh, take this interview and put it in the context of, of mm-hmm. your studies and, and prophecy and things like that. Let's, let's see if it provides some insights, and we'll try to make some comments when we come back. You know, just hearing this has made me excited. Let's go, uh, let's go see what he has to say. Well, while you're excited, let's do it. With no further Woo-hoo. ado, here's Stephen Bassett of Paradigm Research Group, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. So they made it, they made it an, an area of pulp fiction, in other words. That was their most effective way to divert attention, and, and then it sort of has a bullying effect where, where everyone is afraid to mention that they have a keen interest in it because then yeah. they'll be whitewashed with the same – even just private citizens with, with this issue. It's a serious business, uh, very serious business, and it was quite effective, and it did the job. So uh, you can't bring out some evidence and not have some people get upset. So that's, that's a bizarre situation, but that is, in fact, the situation we had with this issue. Uh, same with uh, it's, it's not completely unheard of, but 
it's 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 uh, quite extraordinarily developed in the UFO issue. In the 911 um, aftermath, you saw many of the same techniques being used on the counter uh, explanations being put forth. Hmm. Exactly. That's the same, same thing I was thinking they of. Had to, yeah. Right. They ridiculed, uh, no matter who they were, how many books they'd written, professors, universities, scholars, whatever, they ridiculed them, made jokes about them, called them liars, uh, and then uh, people, others would join in, and so they marginalized them, and eventually they developed what well, would amount to a 911 ghetto. So that anybody that gets in there, regardless of what you think or don't think, uh, how much impact you're having on the actual uh, investigation itself. Well, Stephen, Stephen, you know there's no uh, NAFTA superhighway because uh, I I heard on uh, one of the uh, Republican debates, uh, Ron Paul mentioned about the NAFTA superhighway, and they uh, the, all of the candidates said, well, no, there is no NAFTA superhighway. You're crazy. There is no thing out there. And he says, look, I can look outside my window and look at it. He says, I see the highway out there where it is. And they say, no, there is no such thing. And and none of the commentators yeah. choose to mention the fact after the debate that somebody's referring to a physical entity that out there that you can touch and feel. And just because the other guys say it isn't there, they move right on, look the other way. You know, um, we, we were told that we were attacked at the Gulf of Tonkin. Therefore, we, we better go send 50,000 guys over there to die. And, you know, don't you dare ask questions otherwise or, or you're one of those commie sympathizers. So this I just challenged the systemic line, Mike, uh, became uh, started. I believe that the beginning of the, one of the worst periods in American history starts with the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution. Uh, but mm. uh, in some respects, it all starts back in 1947 when mm -hmm. Roger Ramey uh, re reverses the report that a saucer had been discovered near Roswell and says it was just a balloon. That was the informal beginning of the truth embargo, and then it got formalized in '52 with the Robertson panel. And from that point forward, in other words, the, the, the barrier was breached. Uh, you, had, you had the United States government virtually as a body, but really you're talking about the military intelligence, cross-agency committees and so on, made a decision to lie indefinitely to the people about one of the most, if not the most important issue of all time. And so that once you once you breach that barrier, it's so easy to start lying about other stuff. And so uh, by the time the Gulf of Tonkin resolution comes around, we're about 15 years into the uh, into the uh, truth embargo on the ET presence, as well as the national security structures such as the CIA and the NSA, we're getting up and running pretty good. So I, I think that, that that the success of the ET truth embargo emboldened them to to try and, and play this game with the public again and again, um, with the Tonkin Resolution being won. And more recently, you know, they played the game regarding the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And the success they generally have and the willingness of the Congress to go along and immediately step down is scary. Uh, even though, thanks to the web, there has been much more backlash to this this modality of, of governance. Uh, but... Uh, they have still been able to successfully uh, bamboozle enough people that they can get away with it. And so the the use of the big lie has become commonplace and readily uh, uh, accessible and utilizable by our, our own government. And uh, the, the ET, uh, or truth embargo, lasting for as long as it has, has certainly played a role in emboldening uh, other parts of government, other agencies to go, wow, they can get away with that. 
if they can make all these people think there's nothing there, then, then we can get away with something. And so it, it's helped to almost corrupt the fundamental social contract. Uh, Mr. Bassett, uh, just to, to sort of launch forward into that, um, it sounds like to me that, that what you're saying is that um, basically sometime around the end of World War II, maybe the beginning of the Cold War, our government felt like they had to take on a role as caretaker for the public. And whether it was uh, things going yeah. on behind the Iron Curtain or military secrets or nuclear issues, the, the Cold War, there was so much at stake mm. that they, they their mindset changed where they felt a sense of duty to keep things away from the public no longer. They, they almost became a, a aristocrats or, or a royalty in some respect, the military-industrial complex. Uh, where they were going to be the elite to take care of the people that could handle these issues. And so naturally when they're thinking that way, th this issue would have just been a, a super Cold War issue uh, that, that they had to protect the American people from if they would be panic-induced if they knew all the details of what was going on. C can you give us some other examples? Uh, you've referred to uh, the Roswell incident where we have clear evidence. We have newspapers released uh, with, the, with the Air Force admitting that it was uh, – extraterrestrial uh, bodies and UFO, they refute it without any good explanation why, and then there's been debates for decades since then, uh, and, and they use the technique that you mentioned. But then there, there were other events that happened after that, and then more formalized government policies that happened. Can you comment on a few of those on, on how the official government position evolved? And things, for example, like the uh, – and we're we're still getting a lot of noise on your phone there, uh, Mr. Bassett. I know. So I don't, I don't know what the. Well, I think I think they're jamming you there or something. But uh, on the the, the bars, <laughs> it's happening somewhere between me and you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm not surprised by that. Um, such as the Brook, uh, the Brookings Institution study. C can you comment on things like those documents that we've been able to get our hands on that actually uh, will we we see a, a little light shine on what their thinking was on the kind of policy they evolved and and how they thought the public would respond? There. Yeah. There are. There's a lot of material that has been gathered. Documents learned a lot in spite of the fact that the government is systemically withheld the good stuff, the most complicating material. And when you look at the totality of this evidence, without getting super deep into it, but just look at the totality, a relatively clear picture evolves, and that is that uh, they they were facing extraordinary, two very extraordinary and unprecedented political dilemmas. And, and these are fairly sharp people. They had, they were cold. They, they were uh, Old, the, the, what they call the greatest generation, they, they had managed and succeeded to defeat fascism both in, in the Pacific and in Europe. Uh, they were confident and uh, they had high approval ratings and then they were dealing with some of these questions and they did their best to, uh, to try to understand it, but they quickly ascertained that this was so big. And that the Soviet Union's uh, development of weapons and the pending Cold War was so big that it was more than the public could address. And so the beginnings of the national security state really are in hyper-paternalism. And once you get into paternalism, it's possible to, to go off the deep end pretty quickly, uh, and they did. And the public didn't really call them on it because the public wanted them to protect them from the nuclear missiles uh, and the bad, bad Soviet Union. And so it was like, whatever you got to do, do it. They had carte blanche for the, all, the entire length of the Cold War was lasted. 
from 
stay away from the press, and take what they knew about this issue to the grave. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the long and the short of it. And there have been other propaganda efforts, and they've utilized everything they can to somehow create the effect they wanted, which is that there would be no formal actions regarding this issue, that Congress would not stand up to the issue, candidates would not be questioned about the issue, uh, research organizations, uh, research support groups, uh, philanthropists, and what have you, would not provide funding to the issue. They succeeded wildly in this. But so you're saying they all voluntarily agreed to participate in this general policy? The media and others all agreed to this strategy? Yeah, not so, not, not in quite that broad a term. All the government had to do, remember we're talking about the 40s and the 50s. Mm -hmm. The days of three networks and 15 minutes of news a night. You may remember, I don't know if you were old enough to remember that, but that's a little. Sure. Uh, all they had to do was to get the uh, the three networks on board and, uh, and a few key papers like the Washington Post, the LA Times, and the New York Times. And by whatever means, if they were either by infiltration or by persuasion or what have you, if they could convince those the three networks and some of the top, top papers in the Colorado Union um, to stay, I mean, Chicago Tribune, if you stay away from the issue, they could tie it up pretty well all the way through the 40s and 50s. It wasn't that hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, a few phone now, calls in the night would, would now be this more is, than this is the same me This is the same media that didn't report about FDR being in a wheelchair that covered that up, the same media that didn't talk about the dalliances of JFK, uh, and I'm sure the same media who kept their mouth shut about a lot of other wartime secrets and Cold War secrets in addition to all this. So there is a precedent for their willingness to play ball, correct? Uh, yeah. We've seen uh, the, the secret empire was so vast. It exerts a huge magnetic force on everything around it and twists and turns everything around it into dysfunctional entities so that uh, you may be the person that's taking anybody out the door may be doing it for free, but that person is having a very substantial impact on what's going on. Uh, and, and this was uh, non-trivial. Um, so they, it didn't take that much. They, 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 they started, the CIA started the uh, National Enquirer and then spun off the Weekly World News, which is the one tabloid that I like the most because it made everything up. And so it was so entertaining. <laughs> and then they planted the stories in there, and they would they threaten some, some witnesses, keep them shut. This is going back now in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. This is not happening now in the UFOET era. It was not that difficult to keep this issue contained, and they did. It wasn't that difficult, save for one problem. The ETs were apparently driving the disclosure process themselves. In other words, they were out. Uh, they were... Uh, 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 present, being seen all the time, uh, photographed. Uh, look, <laughs> the ETs, even if they're only a few thousand years ahead of us, I think it's safe to say they had the technology to mimic the uh, light, the standard lighting configurations for airplanes, so that if they we were flying around, they would they would look to be they would be flashing lights exactly like airplanes are required by F, uh, by the FAA. That's not fantastic cloaking. That's just putting on lights to make you look like a regular airplane. They didn't do that. They made no effort really to disguise themselves in many, many cases. And, and the sig signal you're getting there is that they're driving this process, but only to the extent that 
they can do it without letting the cat out of the bag, that we have to let the cat out of the bag, not the ETs. So we have a very complicated history going back to 47, where you have the ETs pushing disclosure. You've got the government withdrawing from it, very successfully propagandizing the field and creating what I call an intellectual ghetto, which I can talk about at length, but this is not mm-hmm. time for that. But this intellectual ghetto is, is nasty business, and we really don't want governments, any governments, doing this anymore from this point forward. Right, and like you said before, there are other issues like like nine one one or other issues like that, or the war that they they push in that same area too. I'm going to ask you a few questions that uh, are are speaking on behalf of the skeptics in our audience, uh, so they can have questions addressed. A lot of times, don't get answered. One of the things people always ask. You mentioned the two, the the role the ETs had themselves in in their their role in the disclosure process. They always wonder how come ET doesn't go land on the lawn of the White House. Or, or somewhere where everybody sees it at once, how come they act so mysterious? Do you have any kind of data or anything that you've seen or, or even your own hunches from what you've seen on why they, they play somewhat of a coy game as well as our own government? Um, data we don't have. Uh, there's no email from the ETs. Uh, if there are any documents that have been exchanged uh, with the uh, with, uh, ET uh, involvement, it's certainly non-existent. MK-12 documents are not about ETs. Uh, documents from ETs. They're internal documents supposedly that show government involvement in uh, the issue. Well, I mean just third-hand so, accounts where it's actually been discussed about the understood, yeah. I know. But if you look at the overall picture, if you look at the fact that they don't really make much effort to disguise themselves in many cases, they're seen a great deal, which obviously spurs interest and drives the press uh, into the issue terrestrially. When you look at the shutting down of missiles that occurred in a number of instances, the pictures they give about these, you see entities that are pushing us, they're hurting us, like cattle in a way, but that may not be quite a fair term. They are clearly manipulating us to towards some goal, some some point. Uh, David Jacobs thinks that where where we're going is is full colonization. I disagree with David, but he he is a long-time researcher and more than capable of making that case. Uh, I, I, what I think they are hurting us towards is is disclosure itself, uh, trying to make sure we don't back away, back up, and that the pressure becomes in, 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 uh, inexorable before the government and impossible to, uh, to, to dodge further, and the government has to relent. Uh, they've been helping to drive this process, but without letting the cat out of the bag. Obviously, if they park 100 saucers over Washington and New York, right? they have obviously driven the process below, but right off the cliff. Um, and that they don't want to do. Force majeure disclosure, where the ETs make it absolutely clear they're here. The government's not involved. The government didn't do its job. The government didn't tell people the truth. And that's, that would upset a lot of people. We're talking some serious social unrest. Which is why they don't do it. That's my. That's the way I see it. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. This is Doctor Future. And Tom, I want a shawarma bionic. A shawarma. Shawarma. I bet you there's maybe three people that know what a shawarma is out there. I'll bet you there's more than three people. You that California know what a guy, you. I'll bet you there's more people that than three that know what a shawarma is. Well, we don't, well, let's just let them stew on that a little bit, okay? Mm, stew. <laughs> let's. Uh, I, I want to just make a few comments to what uh, Mr. Bassett said, but before I run out of time, mm-hmm. I think the whole the quote of the interview was, was the intellectual ghetto. Well, no, no. Oh, I want to just that. Was that. My, my the quote that just happened to just come out, roll out. 
when he was talking about what his uh, surmising of the motives and goals of the ET was mm-hmm. uh, from all the data, and probably no one has more data than he does that he's collecting. He, he just said uh, sort of offhand that he sees that they're pushing us and hurting us like cattle, the ET. Mm-hmm. And it says they are, he says they are manipulating us towards some goal. Now, what's mm-hmm. interesting is he doesn't come from a Christian standpoint. He doesn't come from a biblical worldview to try to push or interpret. No. He's, he's just taking information raw data and saying from his somewhat neutral position. Yeah. But what's interesting is he, just looking at hardcore data, he's saying there's, it's evidence that they are pushing or manipulating us toward mm-hmm. some agenda. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Well, and and it's you know he my my quote of the evening was the uh, he talked about the intellectual ghetto of uh, UFO disclosure. You right. Know, I know that I know that uh, I've sort of experienced that in the past a little bit. You mentioned even you other know, Christians can treat yeah, you that way. Yeah. You mentioned this. You mentioned sort of weird things, and they start looking at you like you got like three heads or something. Yeah, you can immediately see them file you under kook in their brain. Yep. You can see them take that piece of paper yeah, with your name and stick it in there. I can literally see the there. going flip, 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 <laughs> K for kook. Yeah, that's sad when, yeah. you know, when our own brothers and sisters, it's that file way. File that under bionic? And sometimes we do that ourselves. You yeah. Know, before we should. Well, sometimes my thing, it's right. Well, you know, I, I would be, I would be, uh, I would be lying if I said I didn't do that, but, I try and take things for, um, uh, you know, from like a Aristotelian mm-hmm. logic standpoint. And if it fails that, then you're definitely you go under K. You go under K for kook. I don't even remember that book of the Bible. Aristotelian. Yeah, I don't remember that one. But you know who would would be Merv. Mm-hmm. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us here at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. And we definitely have to go. All right, out of here. Uh, come back tomorrow for the next segment. Till then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Hasta the bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, a member of the intellectual ghetto bionic. <laughs> that is one of your longer titles. Yeah. Uh, yeah are those placed in quotations, your middle name, the middle phrase? Always. Okay. Well, uh, this week we have Stephen Bassett, who is the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, Mm -hmm. talking about the impending societal crisis from extraterrestrial disclosure. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're new and joining us today on the show, uh, I just want to uh, 
let you know this is a very different kind of show, although we have strange topics regularly on here. You never know what to expect from uh, Future Quake. Uh, this gentleman, if you're not familiar with him, he is virtually a household name, uh, a regular star on Coast to Coast Radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the only uh, lobbyist, officially registered lobbyist in Washington, uh, to promote government disclosure mm-hmm. of their information of an ET presence. Yeah. And uh, takes it very, very seriously. He's a serious truth seeker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we take this not from a theological discussion. We, we just are fact-finding from him and finding information. Yes. And then yes. we put some context on it I, afterwards. Yeah, I don't think he has any particular, any particular compunction either way as far as mm-hmm. uh, uh, religion or, or, or anything like mm-hmm. that. But he is this guy who's worked very hard. Uh, in the alien disclosure sort of field of things, and uh, we're very interested to see what he has to say. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of different th- uh, theologians have been moving in that direction. You know, like you mentioned, I think he, uh, maybe Monday or Tuesday, mm-hmm. the Roman Catholics, you know, Roman, Roman Catholics, yeah. and certainly guys like you know Tom Horn and you know Brother Michael Heiser. Right, all of these guys were you know. Uh, it's uh, coming to meet us, whether we. We could try to ignore it or not, mm. but when you see more and more stuff on the television and news, you're not going to get away from this issue, evidently. Uh, uh, yeah. well, for a long time, I hadn't really planned to go this direction, but it's it's pretty inevitable, and it's good that we take it in a forum like this. Well, you know, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and... Uh some, you know, uh, somebody else said sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> well, and Christians, Christians believe in the supernatural. And if you don't, how can you believe in the resurrection yeah. if you don't believe in the supernatural? It's true. Uh, so uh, we understand that there are things beyond what we see and beyond what we Indeed. feel and touch. Indeed. And uh, uh, one quick word I want to make so before we go off to the interview is that he talked about how people... Uh, push these things into an intellectual ghetto or mm-hmm. ghettoize the discussion. Mm-hmm. And that has happened to anybody who tries to have a serious discussion about data that's been collected on ETs mm-hmm. and or UFOs. And um, I think that's not the only topic. Uh, he mentioned the 911 truth thing. Mm-hmm. Anybody mentions that, you're automatically kook, you're crazy. But I would say for Christians, uh, you could also add creationism. If somebody wants to talk about creation, oh, well, that, that, that person's not scientific. Indeed. You know, well, or... Or the resurrection or things like that. Well, those people just aren't, you know. It's very... We've been there. We know what that's like as Christians. Well, I think it's very interesting that a guy like Dean Kenyon, who uh, wrote what was considered the the standard graduate-level textbook for uh, uh, microbiology, uh, came out and was, you know, uh, a stumping for uh, um, intelligent design. He said it's a better theory than Darwinism. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had to go to... He ended up having to take the... They lo- they censured him, and he ended up having to go to court over the whole thing. You know, never mind that he's like, you know, there's, you know, uh, you know, he's the third or fourth most recognized person in the field. Doesn't matter. It goes against the tide of the accepted political correct position. You're right. Whether whether it's that or or mm-hmm. you know evolution, any any kind of issues like that, global warming, mm-hmm. uh, and we as Christians should never find ourselves in a position where we will not give someone a hearing. Yeah, well, it's also very instructive to notice to to note that you as an intellectual and myself as an intell- pseudo intellectual, um, science. Were you were you winking when you said that about me? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, scientific opinion is not formed in a vacuum. That's one of the things that we miss constantly. You know, people always are talking about the scientific method and, and its, you know, veracity and everything. And that's all great. But the truth of the matter is, is if you find stuff that radically conflicts with other things, uh, you're going to get laughed off the stage. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that happened to Einstein for, for 15 right. years. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So with all that in mind, we need to go listen to Mr. Bassett talk. Keep that in perspective. Put your uh, biblical worldview on and come back and we'll do a very quick wrap up here uh, at the end. But until then, here's Stephen Bassett on Future Quake. Okay, so you're uh, thinking that actually they're trying to save face for our own government for stability's sake. Is that what you're saying? No, they don't. They're not trying to save face. Uh, but of our government. You know, they're helping to move the process forward. It, it's like a parent with a child. It's, you know, it's funny, but the secret empire operates very much in loco parentis, uh, and it's, it's, it's a mistake, and they, they shouldn't do it. The ETs do that too, but they, they, maybe they could justify it uh, a little better than, say, our military uh, lower-end functionaries who want to treat uh, the, uh, the uh, volunteers and the people that come in to address these issues as children. The ETs are far more advanced than us in many cases and can very properly view us as children. Who knows? But they have done a number of things to to uh, push this process along without ripping the social contract apart. You, you get the, the feeling of a fairly carefully planned uh, agenda, uh, thoughtfully pursued with a specific goal. But I am only guessing here. I'm analyzing what I've seen and know, putting the pieces together and giving you the best guess that I can. Uh, because we don't have all the pieces in the puzzle, and, we do, and, we, and the government is deliberately mixed up the pieces, and there are added pieces that aren't supposed to be there, took out pieces. So the puzzle is corrupted, and we're still trying to make heads and tails of it. This is a rigged game, in other words. It's, 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 not, it's not healthy. It's not good. And, it, and one of the reasons we need disclosure is to bring that out in the open so that people can look at it and kick the tires and say, we don't want that again, ever again. We will not. We will not tolerate any future future government ever misrepresenting the nature of reality. Well, let me just say, I, I said in your class that you taught at, at IIIHS that sort of showed sort of the general timeline of disclosure and things, and it, it it took much longer than even what we have on our show to talk about. But it was methodical in pieces of the puzzle that you've been able to collect, and I have to say it's fascinating. It is a fascinating uh, whodunit mystery with evidence popping up in all sorts of different areas. Uh, sometimes you get wit- witnesses to talk, some very high-level people. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. Uh, t- to talk about some more specifics as far as people, there are some people in, in the literature or floating around in the, the, the UFO literature or else broader, names, specific names have come up of people uh, who are key government or other influential fi- figures such as uh, business or other leaders that have been uh, associated with having access yeah. to this information or the subsequent right. cover-up or government policies, uh, documents, reports, uh, uh, you know, or, or any kind of key exopolitics-related disclosed information, or even those who have, who have expressed a keen interest in the topic that some may find surprising. Can you give us some specific names of people that our listeners might be able uh, know the people themselves, but, but explain what their role has been in this whole process of disclosure? Scores of witnesses have come forward, and witnesses we sort of give a specific term here. These are people that have worked in government that have come forward. Some people call them whistleblowers. I don't like that term. I don't think it's appropriate. A witness is fine. They're saying, I witnessed this, I saw that, I knew this. Uh, and scores have come forward, and they're high-level people, including astronauts like Gordon Mitchell, and uh, I mean Gordon Cooper and, and Andrew Mitchell. And their testimony and uh, willingness to come forward is extremely awkward and embarrassing for the truth embargo, but they maintain it anyway. Uh, there are a number of places on the net where you can find archives of quotes from important people. I have a very good one at the paradigmresearchgroup.org website. 
I think at the very top portal page, which is paradigmresearchgroup.org, there's a, there is a listing of of, uh, of uh, quotes and uh, uh, part of the listing of the quotes with the name uh, or with uh, uh, the uh, the names of, of, of these people in, in their rank and station right there, and it's very impressive. And you read down that, but uh, the of note, particular note for your audience is that. The end game of the truth embargo, meaning the final days, the coda, as is said in music, uh, starts in 1993 when billionaire Lawrence Rockefeller approached the administration very deliberately, wanting to issue a letter and a report to, pre- to President Clinton, making a case why President Clinton should release all UFO documents, all UFO documents related uh, to the people, which of course would have had the effect of breaking the truth embargo, would have ended it right there and then. Uh, would have created problems for Clinton uh, politically in his party, no question. But this was a serious effort. We called it the Rockefeller Initiative, and, and it went on for three years. And the documents confirming all this were obtained by Grant Cameron. Others had filed FOIA and gotten some of these documents, but he filed a more complete FOIA request and got over 900 pages. And the key documents are on his website. They're on my website, paradigmresearchgroup.org. And these letters uh, that were exchanged and memoranda and other, other uh, indications of what was happening during this thing are a bit of You can go look at them. Uh, and what we know is that throughout the, the effort by Lawrence Rockefeller to end the truth embargo and make the disclosure, the disclosure president, this whole process was being watched by a number of people of note, one of which was John Podesta, who was a key advisor to President Clinton during that period went on to become chief of staff in the second Clinton term. And uh, now he's very way. active in the Obama administration currently, correct? Well, he's active, but he's, he's obviously the, the husband of the Secretary of State. Now, another mm-hmm. person watching the Rockefeller Initiative on was, was Hillary Clinton. And another person was John Podesta. And another person was the chief of staff to Bill Clinton during the Rockefeller Initiative, and that was William Panetta. So... People should take very, very careful note of the fact that when uh, Barack Obama secured the presidency uh, in November the 4th of last year, he then proceeded to do to, to appoint people from this list, and the odds of it being a coincidence are simply astronomical. He appointed Podesta as his key transition chief, which is very important to the new administration. Podesta had spoken deliberately about the issue at the National Press Club several times, calling for a release of the documents and transparent government. He appointed Clinton as Secretary of State. She was involved in the Rockefeller Initiative. He appointed Leon Panetta, who watched it all happen, made him head of the CIA. And he appointed um, Bill Richardson to Commerce, and Bill Richardson had come out on the issue in 2004. So you have four people connected to the UFO issue actually appointed to the new powerful administration. They could have picked anybody. Everybody wanted in. Uh, the Democrats had huge margins in the House and had taken control of the Senate. Uh, they had an extremely popular president. He could have picked anybody. Plus he owed favors to other people, too. He could have filled. But let me just say to our listeners that when I heard you speak this summer in, in Montreal, you mentioned mm-hmm. these names of these people, and you said keep an eye on them. If they're right. part of a new administration, you you name names. Now yeah, I know you were thinking it possibly. Hillary. Yeah, Hillary would have been a strongest one as as is the the winning candidate as far as pushing this. But here you have another candidate that gets it that has the complete 
adoration uh, of a large part of our country, will support right. wherever he goes. And then he picks the very people that you mentioned by name that were the right. key to lead to disclosure. I mean, it was it was so prophetic. Uh, there were other other indicators uh, that could have been predicted ahead of time. The military intelligence community had to be uh, placated. They 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 were not going to allow some peacenik socialist to come in here and play fast and loose with this. This is a big deal. It's the biggest event in human history. They're concerned about its national security implications, and so they had to have some some people that they felt confident with in the administration. Did he do that? Absolutely. He kept Gates, Bush's uh, last uh, head of the Department of Defense. He kept him on at defense. Uh, then he made a Marine Commandant his uh, national security advisor. Compare that to academic Condoleezza Rice. He appointed Blair, Admiral Blair, to be his uh, chief intelligence. Uh, these are very heavy hitter, uh, certainly centrist, right of center uh people that the military intelligence complex had great respect for. So he that that was very predictable that he would protect them. And then uh it gets better because the 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 crown jewel in this maneuver, uh the, the payoff, at least initially the payoff for the American the human race is that disclosure would make it possible for the extraterrestrial technology to whatever extent it has been developed and reverse engineered with billions and billions of dollars in, in uh, unfettered in, in underground laboratories around the West and possibly in the East. That tech could transform the world, and uh, given what it's able to do with these crafts, if you look at the performance characteristics of these crafts, you know that the propulsion system is extraordinary and the energy system is, 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 is fantastic. So if they have made any progress with that, that tech properly developed and further uh, investigated by all of uh, the available resources and talent, not just the military intelligence scientists, could transform the world. So that's the crown jewel. But in order to get it out in the public, they have to disclose first. There's no way they can put that tech into play and not have the cover-up or the truth embargo, as I prefer to call it, collapse, because it would be so transparent and obvious. So uh, that is the crown jewel. And... Um, it's all about physics. It's, this new tech is about a new kind of physics, a new kind of propulsion, a new kind of energy, highly powerful, more effective, so that perhaps when properly constructed, it could generate electricity and, and the price, uh, a dollar's worth of, of electricity, kilowattage, might be worth 20 cents eventually. Now, the impact of dropping energy prices, key energy prices, that much, by that magnitude, that factor is almost incalculable in terms of its benefits to the human race, and so uh, you would. So, so what does that mean? Well, there were two positions in the government that often go to bureaucrats or administrators or scientific administrators. Uh, one in particular, and you wouldn't have expected that in this case, and that's exactly what happened at this area of energy. He picked not just administrator, he picked a Nobel Prize physicist to run the Department of Energy. And then he picked a Harvard scientist, also a physicist, with a, with a specialty in plasma physics as well as uh, energy, to be his science advisor, to be the office and, and, and the head of the Office of Science and Technology Policy, the very office that 
that Lawrence Rockefeller approached in 1993 to initiate the engagement of President Clinton for him to be the disclosure president, which couldn't happen because the military intelligence complex would never allow it. So these appointments, Clinton, uh, the attempted appointment of, of, Rob, of Richardson, Podesta, uh, Panetta, uh, Jones, Gates, Blair, and then Stephen Chu and uh, Thomas Hal- uh, Holden are, are so extraordinarily appropriate for disclosure that the odds of these being a coincidence are millions to one. Yeah, and so, these are all the people who have gone on the record and said they believe oh, the government yeah. should come clean on what they know about the uh-huh. ET presence. Correct. Has done that. Richardson has done that. Uh, Hillary Clinton helped the, the Rockefeller Initiative. We have the documents to prove it. Now, they've never been asked about this. The press has steered clear uh, because the press has been in the tank at the high end, at the, at the, at the level of the National um, uh, Press Club, at the level of uh, the White House Correspondents Association, which has failed American people all day. It's sad just how ineffective that is. But now there have been some people like John Podesta who actually had a press conference. He called the Pentagon to come clean because you can see it on YouTube. You can go there. uh, Yeah, you can go, and he will actually – he took the initiative to Mm -hmm. say that he believes the suspects, there's data there that that they need to come forthcoming with. Really? So, I mean, he – it wasn't like they had to pull it out of him. He was the one that went on the record for it. And these are the people who have been handpicked, as you suspected and predicted last summer. And, and what a lot of people who might see that YouTube video don't know, and, and wouldn't know from that video, is that, that he's not just anybody. John Podesta was the key advisor to Bill Clinton when the Rockefeller Initiative was taking place, 93 to 96. He watched it take place. So he hooked to the issue when he was in the White House, and now he's coming out and talking about it. Now, normally that would create a media storm, a firestorm of interest, but the press have gone in the tank at the level of the networks and the major papers on this issue, probably under some kind of agreement with the national security structures that made is loosened up of late, but it was very tight back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And the White House press corps has unfortunately just lost their way and are almost useless in, in challenging any administration. Now, hopefully they'll get better. So these, these coincidences, and more importantly, they were not attacked. Podesta was never attacked by the press or the or Republican Party. However, when it came time for the presidential nomination, and the race was between Obama and Hillary, mm-hmm. uh, I believe ultimately that cost her the presidency, because even as she was winning toward the end, primary after primary after primary, and easily maintaining her, uh, her, her share of the elected delegates, enough that, that, that they, could not, they couldn't pick the... You couldn't decide the nominee by the elected delegates. It had to be done by the superdelegates. Even as they, she was doing that, she was losing superdelegates in droves to Obama. And one of the reasons, there were more than one, but one of the reasons was that we had been so successful in educating the press to the connection of Hillary Clinton to the Rockefeller Initiative and the failure of the press to ask her about it that I think the superdelegate said, my lord, whatever's going on here, if we nominate Hillary Clinton, she will be asked about this. She's going to be answering UFO questions from at least the right-wing press. It's going to be a play, a play and, and, and Republicans who desperately wanted to win that election would try to paint her as a UFO kook. Do you have documents uh, that's, that says that they were actually considering this kind of strategy or approach or that the media was? No, but if you look at the behavior of the parties as they uh, have attacked each other, and you look at the level of partisanship in Washington, and you look at the ways that they literally kneecap each other, the idea that the Republican Party would not have used that UFO issue against her since it was right there on the Internet and easily documentable is pretty clear. I don't need a, I don't need a memorandum from the RNC to tell me that they would have done it. 
And I think that that caused a lot of the superdelegates to say, we can't take that risk. Even if the Democrats are disposed to disclose, which I believe they are, they couldn't take the risk of Hillary being hooked. So that's our fault. If we had just laid low, if we had not done anything, if we had to put the documents up, if we had to send out thousands of press releases uh, to the media saying, look at this, she could have slid by. But I, I, I believe that one of the great uh, mistakes that American people have made is that they decided that letting candidates slide by for whatever reason was somehow a, a viable strategy uh, in, in civic governance. And it's, it's a terrible strategy. And the more politicians are able to slide by, the more they will slide by. And so they, they slide all the time. They don't even know right. how to walk upright anymore. They're just sliding down the aisles of the Congress on those, what do they call them, those water mats or something, uh, and collecting their pensions and collecting their salaries. Steve, you, you know how they pay. define who wins debates. It's who had the best one-liner of the night. That's how they define them in the culture we live in. And whatever, yeah. But, so, but so you, Obama, know, you know, Obama it seems like, though, yeah. Mike, let me, maybe that's a very important point. Yeah. Obama, on the other hand, had enormous asset. He was completely clean on the UFO issue. He had no history with it. He had no no knowledge of it. It was not something he had addressed. And so he was innocent there. So if they wanted to disclose, while he, he might very well bring UFO-connected people into his administration, when he made the decision to move, uh, the people could not come back and say, oh, well, why didn't you tell us sooner? Or you're just like them. You're just telling us now. How do we know you're telling the truth? He comes in clean. It's all upside for the Obama administration. When you found out, you told us you're the great truth teller. Praise be Barack Obama. Hillary would have had a big problem because even if she'd become president and, and, then, and, and then tried to be the presidential uh, initiator of disclosure and be the disclosure president, many people would have said, then why did you sit on this issue for 15 years? Simply because you weren't in power? We were supposed to sit and wait for the truth while you aspired to be the president? Real tough call for her. And so ultimately, it worked out pretty well. Obama makes an excellent disclosure president, and she gets a significant piece of a legacy because as the, as the Secretary of State, she is going to be the one who is going to have to explain to the rest of the world, the nations of the world, our position on this, to calm their concerns and fears, to provide information that will allow them to feel they're going to be part of the post-disclosure world. She's going to be our liaison for the rest of the world regarding the ET changeover. Uh, that's a huge thing for her, and it thus assures her legacy, even though she's not president. And by by connection, it grandfathers her husband, uh, President Clinton, into the legacy, which he has a piece of because he did entertain the Rockefeller Initiative. He did try to respond to it in a limited fashion, and so he gets a piece of the legacy. But ultimately, the, the greatest portion will go to Barack Obama, who I think will be the disclosure president, and the window for that to happen will be the largest it's been, I believe, in 60 years, in the last 30 days of the legendary first 100 days of the administration. And those 30 days happen to be April 1st to April 30. So that's when you need to pay really close attention because that's when the, the likelihood of disclosure, at least in the near term, of taking place will be the greatest. Right? It's like, it's like those opportunities to go to Mars as like a window where if you launch your, your, your missile at the right time, you can get there. We have a great opportunity to pull this off. And if they don't pull it off, I guarantee the pressure on the administration that's going to come from this growing activist movement, which is getting bigger and bigger all the time, is going to make it excruciatingly painful for them and, and, and even worse for the United States. We're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future and Tom. Intellectual, pseudo-intellectual, bionic. 
There's two intellectuals in there. Double intellectual. Okay, yeah. That's how I, I would describe it. Both sides of my brain firing. Well, uh, <laughs> Stephen Bassett had a mouthful to say here, and we don't have much time. But yep. uh, I, one thing I want to note is that he believes that if Obama comes out with an announcement about this, that he thinks it will be in the first 100 days of his administration, mm-hmm. and or it will look like he's setting on the information. Yeah, he said, and he even went so far as to say sometime between April 1st through the 30th. Right, yeah. right. That'd be very interesting. We're coming right up to this it's, point now. It's heavy. Yeah. Uh, you know, if he does it on the 1st, they'll think it's an April Fool's joke. They won't even believe him. No, he'll have to do it on the 2nd. You know, the governor of Arizona, when they have the, the Phoenix lights come out, mm-hmm. he, he first made light of it. First he said he thought it was real, and then when they had a press conference, he brought out one of his his guys with a like, little funny outfit on, and now he's come back and said that that was wrong. He was sort of intimidated, but that he really saw something that was a UFO that went over. Oh. It was like a big, huge spaceship that went over the top of him. The governor of Arizona. Wow. That's Five Symington. That's bold. Well, uh, we need to bring in Merv. Uh, Speaking of uh, big UFOs, would you come here, Merv, and tell our listeners how they can get a hold of us here at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to call her a day. Okay, well, let's hit it. Come back next week, uh, next week, tomorrow, we've got another segment of the show. Um, listen to this with your biblical hat on, and uh, we'll just chew on this and see what you think. But until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Live long and prosper. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. Well, it's uh, wonderful to be here with you. And uh, we are coming back to our third installment of our interview with, excuse me, fourth installment. Fourth installment. We're doing five. Fourth of five. Phone out. Yeah, we're doing our fourth installment with Stephen Bassett, the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group. And we're talking about the impending societal crisis from extraterrestrial disclosure. Mm -hmm. One of those uh, very strange and unique shows that we do from time to time. And if you're new to Future Quake, um, just get used to it. We cover cutting-edge stories like this from a Christian perspective. As I think we said earlier in the week, uh, I'd I'd like to remake the point real quickly, is that we tend to try and touch... We're both Bible-believing Christians and try and tend to touch things that uh, not other Christians are likely to touch. That's right. And uh, this is one of those weeks when we have a guest uh, whose emphasis is Mm -hmm. not as a theologian or pastor. He's simply a truth seeker and someone who collects data as he sees fit Mm -hmm. and uh, is uh, willing to come on our show and talk about his work. And it provides us information that then we can uh, look at from a uh, Christian worldview and and understand the significance of what he's doing. We appreciate him coming. Yeah, and I I thought he was was exceptionally well-versed. 
actually, to be honest. Well, he's interested in hard information, mm-hmm. and he's trying to get to the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, Christians should always be friends of those who try to seek the truth. Indeed. And uh, But this is some mind-blowing information. You know, yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about some government officials who actually have come on the record and said they're behind getting disclosure from the government about the ET presence. People like John Podesta, mm-hmm. who helped, who was in the Clinton administration, helped form the transition team for Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, people like Bill Richardson, who was supposed to be on the cabinet for mm-hmm. Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, people like, um, let's see, who, who who else? We have a number of... Uh, the Clinton? The Clintons the Clinton. also yeah. uh, were, were involved in it as well, too. We have a Secretary of State now mm-hmm. who uh, was behind it, and that was because Lawrence Rockefeller, here we have a Rockefeller coming in to a future Quake show again. Dun, dun, dun. There. You know, we wouldn't have much to talk about if it wasn't the Rockefellers. Nephilim Rockefeller. Yeah, we wouldn't have, uh, we, you know, probably wouldn't have Bohemian Grove or any of Bilderberg yeah. or any of these other groups. Um, uh, his initiative, Lawrence Rockefeller, to really push for E.T. disclosure back in 1993. This has mm-hmm. all been well documented, the documents. I've seen all the, the papers and the letters and articles that were mm-hmm. done. And we're going to talk about other government officials uh, who also had a keen interest, too. Uh, oh, I know Leon Panetta. He's yeah. another one yeah, who actually yeah. is uh, is into this as well, too. So mm-hmm. we need to cut that interview. And with no further ado, here is Stephen Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group. And we'll be right back to uh, discuss what he happens to share with us on FutureQuake. Explain, explain to our listeners why, again, make it very clear why the, the month of April is a key window. Because if the administration... The administration needs to do it early because if it doesn't do it early, then every day it delays after that. It become, it's a truth embargo because they're embargo. Yeah. They become the, the new owners. The, you see the new boss, same as the old boss. And they have some explaining to do. And so when they, the earlier they do it, then the more it's all positive for them and, and, and not much negative. That's the first reason. That's a non-trivial reason. Uh, so the, you need this, you need to be early. Well, we have sort of a benchmark for early. Uh, and this has become standard. It's a standard form. It's arbitrary, but it's 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 a real concept. And that is the first hundred days. Okay. Big honeymoon when the, when the when the personal capital is the highest and the approval ratings are the highest. And this is when significant legislation gets done and pushed through. We're seeing that right now. In fact, Obama's off to the fastest start of any president in history. And, and it so defines the term, right? I mean, it really defines the presidential term. The first hundred days. The right. Agenda. Everything. You know. No, nobody would expect President Obama to walk in and five days after taking over the White House announce the ET presence. I mean, so it ain't going to happen in day five. There's, there are things that need to get done right away. They have certain things that must get done. They have to settle in, make contacts. So day 20, day 25, day 30, it's, it's too soon. They need time. They need about two months to, uh, to get acclimated, settle in, make contacts, uh, get some key legislation passed that has to be done, relevant to immediate domestic concerns. But after about 70 days, that is done, and they still have 30 days left. So it's the last 30 days of the first 100 days. That's how I'm picking this window. And here is the punchline, and I'm going to have to leave you with this, guys. I'm, I've, I've got uh, two meetings lined up this evening, and we've run pretty long. But let, let me say that here's the punchline, and, and I'm repeating this over and over again. I'm approaching now 1,000 interviews on this subject matter going back to 1997, and I, I, I've probably done over 200 in the last uh, 120 days. And I'm repeat this message over and over and over again until the administration hears it, because I know other people are sounding this message too. And that is, if they do not disclose in that optimal window of April 1 to April 3, then it's very possible that later in the year, maybe in May, they're going to wake up 
and they're going to go out on their porches, all the movers and shakers and the, the leaders of the Democratic Party and the administration, and they're going to pick up their Washington Post, and the headline is going to read, French President Sarkozy announces the presence of extraterrestrials to the French people, and we will be irrelevant at that point. We will Whoa. be caught with our pants down. We will be second banana backbench to the French. And I can assure you that sends cold chills. And it gets worse because if the France doesn't do it, it's very possible China will do it. They just impacted a, 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 a craft on the moon. They have de they're developing a manned space program. They are a major power. And I can assure you they are very interested in the UFO subject. They support UFO research. And anybody who thinks that China isn't capable of announcing the ET presence tomorrow is delusional. And that's not the only nation. The U.K. is a possibility. Canada is a possibility. Brazil, Mexico are possibilities. Another nation is going to take this mantle, take, seize this, this carpe, in other words, carpe diem, seize this day, seize this moment, and take history to their own if we don't do it. And we have abrogated so much. We have lost so much trust and credibility, so much respect, that for us not to effectuate the truth embargo and start to reverse the program that we instituted, we created it. We launched it. The rest of the world just went along with it. So if we don't correct it, all history will say is America literally distorted reality for 62 years and France finally cut the Gordian knot. That's one interesting legacy for the greatest superpower the world has ever seen. That's what's at stake here, and the administration had better understand that. And the evidence of this is all on the Internet. You go to ParadigmResearchGroup.org, and you can see everything that I'm talking about. Articles, media articles all over the world confirming exactly what I'm saying here. What these nations are doing, what these members of the administration have said, what they have done, it is all right there. Anybody with a 10th grade education writing for any newspaper in this country could go there and understand this in about a half a day if they have the intelligence, the wisdom, and the foresight to do so. And they're not willing to be the propagandists for the government anymore. That's where things are. Now, your your website, like you say, has these smoking gun documents and easy to to uh, secure form where you're, you're, you, you actually make it very easy to methodically go through all the key players, what is the legacy and the history of the documents, what we've got in our hands on, what's been released through Freedom of Information Act or elsewhere. So, so there's, there's, there's tons of information our listeners can go through to try to see how legitimate this issue really is. And, and not only that, but there's 10, over 10,000 external links to other materials. I don't think there's any related site in the world that has that many internal links. And, and, and go to sites like uspresidents.com. A lot of this stuff that you've just mentioned, it's, it's not only on my site, it's on other sites. uspresidents.com. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, presidents, forgive me, presidential UFO, presidentialufo.com, my colleague Grant Cameron's site, is loaded with material mm -hmm. like this. It's, and it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing information for just for sure. my own. And, there, and there's two sites where two of my colleagues have created two excellent sites recently Barack Obama, UFO.com, and Hillary Clinton, UFO.com. Check them out. Look, it's all right there. It's in plain sight. We have them completely in the corner. We've got them pressed up in a corner of the kitchen, and they know it. And, and they know that at any day, one significant member of the press could completely destroy their illusion and their, and their influence on this issue with just a couple of key questions. And when they look out from this corner of the kitchen, they see like the Verizon team that follows the, that guy around in the back. Right. They see a sea of people <laughs> and researchers and activists and witnesses, generals, and admirals, and captains, and astronauts, 
and uh, and uh, uh, a sea of literature and books stretching as far as I can see, and there's no way out. And so what we're doing as an activist movement is is something quite simple. We're we're taking a, a metaphorical piece of chalk, and we're walking over to them and saying, excuse me, and we're drawing a door there in the corner of the kitchen where they're pressed into the corner, and we're drawing this door on the wall, and we're drawing a doorknob, and then we're, we're, we're putting the words on, on the top of the door, disclosure. And then we say, there you are. You're in a corner. You can't go anywhere. You're pinned down, so things are going to get very unpleasant. But you have a way out. All you have to do is go through that door. Hmm. Okay. So you, you just keep turning up the screws of pressure uh, until we get to that stage. You're signing up more high-level government officials. <clears throat> Uh, who who are supportive of this effort, and we're getting to a critical mass of people. It sounds like it's a tipping point. Definitely. Uh, let me tell you just uh, a recent project, which which is just just something put together a couple of days ago. And it's going to be big. It's already off to a huge start. Uh, I created the Exopolitics World Network, a project of PRG a while back, and and our goal was to get one site, one key site for each country in the world with a basic URL, similar URL, exopoliticsunitedstates.us, exopoliticscanada.ca, and so forth. And, and we've got about 13 or 14 now. And if you Google exopolitics, these sites turn up. Or if you go to exopolitics world, exopoliticsworld.net, you see the hub site for the EWN. Well, we just did something else, which is remarkably simple and yet incredibly powerful. Uh, I launched a, a, a Facebook group page. This is not a friends page. This is like a group page that, that you create for groups and causes and so forth uh, that anybody can join in Facebook. And, and uh, uh, this is not going to be just for the EWN. It's not just for the Paradigm Research Group. This is the EWN group page, which means this. It, it's, going to be rep- it's going to represent and support all of the researchers in the field. And so... All of the uh, not research, the activists in the field. So about 20 to 25 of the top leaders in this issue are, are, are and will be soon administrators to this group page. And they are all using their mail lists and their media appearances uh, and uh, their websites to promote this group page, this one group page. There are other groups. There are lots of them, and they're fine. But this one in particular, mm-hmm. to drive people there to join up. And the reason that's powerful is that the way it's structured at Facebook is that once, if we can get 100 to 200,000 people that are simply signed up on that group page, and you can sign up and sign off anytime you want, but you're signed on, and then we will have these top top uh, activists, actual political activists, as administrators to that page, then at any time one of those activists has something they need to relate to those people, a conference coming up, a book, an event, whatever, about what's going on, they, they they are able to simply send a, a message, an email, right to all 200,000 of them immediately. It costs nothing, right? It's not spam. These people are belong to the group. Mm-hmm. They controls. They can they can keep it within Facebook, or they can have it sent to their email box. And if they don't like what they're hearing, they can drop out of the thing anytime they want to. It, it, this is essentially our moveon.org. This is our. This will become our central core driving email list, which we've never had in this field. Facebook made it possible, and we are taking up the mantle. And so I'm spreading the word, and you're going to be hearing me talk about this a lot. I'm sending press releases very soon. Our goal is to get at least 100,000 people signed up to the Exopolitics World Network group page of Facebook, not just so I can send them messages, so that they can receive information on a regular basis from the top 20 to 25 leaders worldwide in this field. Do you see how powerful this? Do you know what this means? 
There is no limit to this list. Let me give you an example. Obama and, and McCain, but particularly Obama, had several Facebook group pages, one of which had over 2 million members, which means that the campaign, anytime they wanted to, could send information about his campaign to all 2 million of them for free anytime through Facebook. So guess what? We're going to do the same thing. So how big will it get? Mm -hmm. I guess we'll find out. This is just one more project piled on dozens more. And please don't let me forget that, that the fifth X conference, PRG's X conference, to X conference 2009, will be uh, held in Gatesburg again. That's just outside of Washington, April 17, 18, 19. We have an unbelievable lineup. It's all up there. You can see the schedule, see the speakers, Edgar Mitchell, M. Hancock. Go to x-conference.com. Well, I say an Ed Edgar Mitchell, one of the one of the astronauts who's walked on the we'll moon, will be speaking at your at your conference. Taking a half hour wow. uh, Half hour mm -hmm. questions. Uh, who are who are some other big names? Well, George Norrie is going to there. give an extended presentation. There's no special charge. Everybody in the conference can come. Uh, he's going to be bringing clips from uh, clips from past shows. Uh, George is very supportive of uh, of the, the the disclosure process and the work we're doing, and he's going to be promoting the sh uh, the, the the conference, and we appreciate that. Uh, Roger Lear has had a ma major breakthrough in his implant research. Going to announce that for the first time. Grant, so you won't give us any hints I, on that because we, we we are planning to have Dr. Lear on our show I ourselves. Can't, but I can't. it will be revealed for the first time. And Bummer. at the press club, the press conference will hold at the National Press Club afterward. Edgar Mitchell will be at that press conference first time. Nick Pope will be at the press conference. He's coming in from England. Uh, Art Campbell will be there researching the Eisenhower years. We've got exopolitical activists Michael Fall, Alfred Weber. Uh, Joe Buckman, Rebecca Hardcastle, Perry Mansfield. We have a uh, radio uh, entrepreneur and uh, abduction researcher organizer, uh, Joe Montaldo of ICAR. He's coming in. Um, uh, and then perhaps the, what could be the defining movement of this, of this conference? Uh, uh, Dr. John Alexander, the quintessential insider, who has been involved in uh, both paranormal and covert action within the military, and after leaving the military with an and a distinguished career, and I will debate all of the issues in play, anything we want uh, to put on the table for an hour and a half. What What do you think? Or well, first of all, I want to encourage all of our listeners to make every attempt to attend this conference. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm trying to look at my own schedule to see if I can go as well myself. And uh, can uh, can Future Quake get uh, press credentials uh, to go to the press conference? Sure. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. Right uh, yeah, I had press credentials at uh, Alex Jones' uh, 911 Truth Conference, and that was very, very useful and instructive oh, absolutely. to ask the key players. And I would certainly like to do Email this. Email me the reminder, though. Email me, because that's how I operate. Email me that you want okay. to you, you want for Tom, you want for you. I need your names for the badges and so forth. I need your real name, boys. Okay. And yeah. I will uh, get you down for future quick. No problem. Now, this is a reasonably priced conference, right? I mean, you, you have a very reasonable price. The whole thing is 290 for three full days, 20-some uh, speakers, the banquet, the awards banquet, the cocktail party, 290. These are household wow. names. These are household names that you'll see. What now? I said these are household names that they'll see at the conference, hear, hear them speak directly on this issue. There's possibility that there will be real newsworthy stories that come out of this. In other words, there might even be some press, since it's right under their nose there in the greater D.C. area in Gaithersburg, well, that are going to wander in there and, and have their socks blown off with there what they hear. There will be some press, but most of the press will be coming to the National Press Club on Monday. And, and that's not the conference per se, but it's, it's our follow-up National Press Club press conference. And we always have a packed house. And, and because Nick Pope will be there, Lear's got a major announcement, because Edgar Mitchell is going to be there. Uh, and Milton Torrey, uh, the witness uh, from Miami, the, the Air Force major who – 
was ordered to shoot down a UFO uh, in, in UK in 1957 and, and went on to a distinguished career as a, a college professor. We'll be there, and he will be taking questions at the National Press Club. We could have quite a few meetings. Look, this is a this is a, gotten off to a slow start because of the economy. Our bookings are down, but people are very worried about the, the economy, and I understand that. But uh, I hope you, I hope everyone can get there. Um, this is going to be one significant event. But but you talk about the economy. What, what I thought earlier in your talk was the very fact that we have this bona fide crisis in the world economy means that if they do disclose something that has technology that could be saving for our, for our society, I think the people are going to be in such a dire state that they may be more forgiving to overlook the cover-up of all these decades if they can gain access to something that will save Absolutely. them. From the dire state that they found. They never grasp know this. They know what's at stake here. If you look at the way he's positioning himself, and uh, you know, alternative energy, transparent government, uh, New Deal type, high tech, green tech. This has all got ET tech written all over. Because look, we have we have some things we can do, but our problems far greater than our quote uh, old paradigm options. The technology behind those craft allow them to hover, allow them to move at thousands of miles an hour, instantly accelerate, do non-initial turns, and that and the energy that powers it is in you know inside a 30-foot craft. Uh, they've had an unlimited budget virtually to work on that tech and come to understand it. And humans are not stupid. I mean, people think, well, these guys are so advanced. Look, we're not dumb, and we have enormous uh, understanding of the physical world. And and they've been working without restriction on those crashed vehicles and the tech that drives them for 60 years in underground facilities. And there's a, a decent amount of a circumstantial evidence that says we have made significant progress. But you don't see that tech in play in the civilian world. You don't see astronauts going into space on an anti drive, and you don't see kilowatts of energy being produced for maybe a few pennies. What you see is what the old technology, while that stuff remains hidden, because to bring it out and the truth embargo, and the truth embargo it can't be ended yet. And so we have a Gordian knot here that needs to be cut. And well, aren't there also energy cartels that would fight this tooth and nail as well, too? No, it's not. It's not that's all over energy. There was a time when they might have been concerned, but the energy cartels and industrial cartels will simply ship their resources into the post-disclosure world and, and use that money to take advantage of the new tech and, and new business opportunities. And I can assure you that in the post-disclosure world, the rich will still be rich. The energy moguls will still be powerful. Uh, and so this idea that all these people are going to fall apart and will fight this tooth and nail is just propaganda. It's just part of the propaganda, like the Brookings Report, designed to convince people that somehow this can't happen. Uh, we have been swimming in a sea of propaganda in this country that really didn't start getting underway until the early days of the Vietnam War. Uh, up until then, uh, we were running relatively clean post-Cold War II. But starting right around the time of the Gulf, the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, the national security state decided that the tools of the Soviet Union could work here, and they started to abuse their uh, privilege. And propaganda was one uh, very understood and well-defined tool, and they started using it on us. And the American people have been swimming upstream against propaganda tied since the Tonkin Resolution, and the result has been catastrophic to America. Anybody that thinks that America is on the right path, at least up until the current administration, will give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, just living in another universe, America has been squandering its greatest resources, its greatest strength, its greatest virtues, 
has been wasting its money and its time and has lost enormous opportunity. It has been catastrophic for us. And we, we are such a great nation, so powerful, that we're able to sort of slide by like the kid who is so smart that they can kind of slide by and get reasonable grades and then one day realize that they don't know a thing and have a major problem. Well, America has slid by for 60 years, and now it's facing collapse if it doesn't get its act together. And the first thing it has to do is tell the people that pay for this government what the real deal is about uh, this world. And uh, ETs are here, and that's the way it is, and we need to know that, and then we need to act on it. That's a great first start. Uh, anything less than that, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, is just wheel spinning and not worth, uh, not worth the effort to even pay attention to. We're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future. And Tom Bionic. No, no middle name today. Really? I couldn't think of anything. Huh. Did you, did you, it's like the guy who rode on a horse with no name. I'm like, I hosted a show <clears> with <throat> a man with no middle name. Yeah, there you go. It was good to be out in the rain. Indeed. But in the desert, no one can or remember Or on your Future name. Quake, you can't remember your name. No, 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 Because there's certainly <laughs> no, no, no one out there no, that no, gave no, us no fame. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um... What what really struck you about this segment? <clears throat> well, um, uh, one of the things specifically was he made a he made an analogy that I really found apropos to the whole situation, uh, given our economic sort of upheaval and societal coming societal upheaval that many people are predicting. Uh, you know, they have this. He said the politicians have kind of boxed themselves in the corner, and uh, in a in a very real sense, what a lot of these UFO disclosure people have done has walked up there with a piece of chalk and drawn a door mm-hmm. and uh, drew a little handle and a key and everything and and uh, written disclosure on it. And then, then said, all you have to do is walk through and your problems are solved. That's a very, I thought that was a very, very enlightening analogy and very interesting mm. given our, uh, you know, the place where we come to look at, at, at this interview. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of a comment, I think it was from a group called Timbuk3. Uh, and it was about the, about the <laughs> movie um, Rumblefish. Rumblefish. Uh, yeah, and the guy says, he says, if sometimes I don't seem to talk, it's because this blackboard likes a piece of chalk. Put that in pipe and smoke it. I don't smoke a pipe. Um, it, what I, f- I found a lot of things was interesting. He said that they don't hurry up and disclose. There are other countries like mm-hmm. France, Sarkozy, and others who mm-hmm. are going to beat them to the game. Yeah. So they're all, it's almost like a... I hate to use this term, Mexican standoff, where they're all looking at each other, wondering who's going to flinch. Yep. All looking in each way. Um, but um, he also was discussed that the economic crisis that is here mm-hmm. is so severe that if someone comes out and says, "Hey, we've discovered all this new technology, part of this contact with these ETs that can help solve our problems," people might forgive them, mm-hmm. keeping it quiet, just because they want to get their hands on mm-hmm. this great new stuff. It'll radically, it'll radically move the uh the supply demand cross uh of of energy you know All right well it'll radically it'll radically change the economy really you know if this is stuff you found fascinating go to his website at paradigm research group and um look at the tons of documents mm-hmm. with people's names like hillary clinton with uh people's names like um oh i, I forget a, a bunch of our different government figures uh uh, John Podesta, others, who, who actually go on the written record about what they believe they know about ETs. Mm-hmm. You'll see letters from Lawrence Rockefeller to the Clintons and vice versa mm-hmm. about this. 
it's absolutely amazing. And the X conference, which he talked about on this show, uh, is in April, in the middle of April. And if you go to his website, you can see it. It's in mid-April uh, in Gaithersburg, Maryland, just outside of D.C. Highly recommend everybody check it out. Indeed. If you have a fascination in this area, if you're interested in Bible prophecy, I think you'll get a lot of good information. And we need to go. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can get a hold of us and find out more about Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests, are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're running over. Well, what do you have to say for yourself? Goodbye. Um, Indeed. We hope your future's bright. See you tomorrow. Goodbye. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, no stranger to weird stuff, Bionic. By weird stuff, you referring to me? Um, so here we are at the show. Um. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I'm not going to ask you this Friday for once, what day it is, Dude, what just, it means. I can tell you exactly what day it is. It's what? Friday. Right, but it is not tomorrow's Tremors or today's Review of the Future's News. Again, you are correct. Because we have a bonus fifth installment of our interview with Steve Bassett, who's been with us all this week, Mm -hmm. who is the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group. And uh, he's talking to us about a very interesting topic that we've talked about all week. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what was that? That was uh, aliens. The impending societal crisis from extraterrestrial disclosure. Or you can say that. And we have been looking at that in our comments from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. prophecy perspective. From, from kind of a scatological of, uh, perspective. What it all means. Yeah. From a what perspective? Scatological perspective. Yeah, okay. What? Eschatological. Scatological would mean about like around cow pies and stuff. Oh. Eschatological? There you go. That's good. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard it pronounced both ways with all okay. due respect. All but, right. Okay. Yeah, you know, Sorry. No, there's no due respect from you. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, one thing, we, we haven't gone too much into taking this information and processing from a prophetic standpoint, but I can see all sorts of prof- prophetic word when Indeed. we hear people who research just saying that we're being herded mm-hmm. into uh, something and that they have an agenda for something. Well, and one of the things that I thought was particularly interesting is he said that we sort of have to open open the door. Like, they won't just show up on the White House lawn. We have to sort of... He didn't use these words, but I think he, he sort right. of implied it. We kind of have to... They're waiting for us to them. move, right. Yeah, it's very, right. very interesting. That's right. Which from reminds me a lot of those old vampire movies where you had to invite a vampire in your house to come well, in. I mean, there's some... Uh, and demonic stuff, that's definitely the case. I, I was going to say, you know, off the subject, slightly off the subject, that is very much the case uh, that I, uh, from the things that I've talked to, different people who've... Deliverance ministry is part of what they do, you know, inviting, mm-hmm. 
inviting things in. Uh, I believe it was Ed Warren, whose uh, uh, theological underpinnings may be a little bit spurious, but he did have a, one, uh, one, at least one interesting thing to say, and that was uh, there seems to be three three levels. There's invitation and attraction when you invite the invite the entity mm-hmm. in, and then oppression, and then possession. You know, it's very interesting. And these are demonic entities. Demonic entities, mm-hmm. yeah. It's very interesting to hear uh, a little bit of sort of I don't know foreshadowing maybe. I think and that might be too. The association with the truth is not uh, coincidental. I'm sure. Perhaps I'm not. sure there's something there's something to Perhaps this. Perhaps not. Well, uh, what we're going to find out in this next segment, which I think is very important, is that not only are there some people like the Clintons and some of the key fi- officials in the Clinton cabinet, like Leon Panetta, uh, John Podesta, and others, who now are in the Obama cabinet, that are really pushing disclosing about UFOs, but there are even conservative members uh, in the conservative movement in Washington who who espouse Christian kind of virtues and things in the mm-hmm. public, but secretly they're inviting a lot of these people into their homes, pursuing mm-hmm. this UFO interest in what's going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there are things we don't know about going on in our leadership. Uh, and just the, I'm talking say, about the whole power structure in Washington, I, not just the people in office. Well, really, really, to say the least, certainly, you know, there's uh, historically things we, we've covered here uh, from from FDR and the dollar bill and uh, their interest in the occult. Yeah, Henry Wallace, Our vice president, yeah, was like a big yeah, occultist. Yeah, uh, with uh, Nicholas Rorick. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the Reagans yeah. using an astrologer. Yeah, Eleanor Roosevelt was huge into that stuff, yeah. and you know. And then Hillary Clinton was channeling Eleanor Roosevelt later. Yes. Through her psychic. Yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, it's unfortunate as it is. It's not uncommon to see that with uh, the leaders of the free world. You know, um, Tony Blair. You know. Yeah. I mean, gosh, he uh, he's reported to uh, uh, every morning by his own admission every morning to be indwelled by a spirit he calls light that sometimes throws him on the ground and he like rolls around, you know. This is his own admission. Yes, and his wife, uh, Sherry, Sherry or Sheree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sheree. Yeah. Uh, I guess has taken clippings of their hair and nails mm-hmm. to, uh, to to black magicians. To have them do different incantations, hmm. she's done. She, they've both participated in a uh, Mayan birthing ceremony, uh, rebirthing ceremony there in Mexico, uh, and and I believe Tony is also, he's participating in sort of a one world religion group and teaching a class at uh, maybe Columbia or Yale or something like that hmm. about emerging spirituality. These are the best leaders we could get that are elected. Um, that we choose in our own ballot box. Yeah, well, uh, you know, who knows about choose? <laughs> yeah, but. that's another kettle of fish. I guess mm-hmm. we need to get on to the interview. Yeah. Uh, with no further ado, I hear Stephen Bassett in the concluding episode uh, talking about the impending societal crisis from extraterrestrial disclosure, and then we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Hey, Stephen, I know you got to go, but if you could oblige me, just two very quick questions because I know you have to go. One is something I picked up from hearing you talk and doing reading online yeah. um, is, is this impression that there was actually far more interest in Washington about this E2 issue than what they let on. We, we see a lot of these guys going for the cameras and they're, they're uh, you know, uh, mom and apple pie and, and they're, they're, they're typical uh, conservative right wing, uh, yeah. you know, God, God-fearing, uh, uh, you know, your, your typical evangelical type uh, approach and how they present to the public. But I keep hearing these stories that a lot of these same characters, 
behind closed doors have a keen interest in these kind of things. And I'm thinking the stories of guys like uh, uh, James Woolsey, who is a noted conservative, former uh, head of the CIA, who uh, supposedly has had people like Dr. Stephen Greer on, uh, talking about the reality of uh, E.T. and what's going on. Is there a lot more of that of what you determine of interest behind closed doors of people in, in Washington that have more of an interest even though they're not, you know, fessing up in the public. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll close with this one. Um, yeah, the, take all the, the, you know, the conservative stuff, put that aside. Take the evangelical stuff, put that aside. That's not particularly relevant here. What, what is relevant is this. <laughs> let, me, let me make it real clear to your listeners. All right. Politicians, functionaries, right, uh, such as advisors to the president and everything else, they have a whole list of things they can't talk about. And it varies maybe from person to person, but like you're in, the, you can't talk about this in this area, and in that area you can't talk about that, and if you're in this job you can't talk about that, and then there's a list of things that nobody can talk about. And and, and this is this is part of the in loco parentis um, uh, parental approach to governance. It's part of this lackadaisical approach. It's just part of the dysfunctionality that is that is, that is in, uh, encroached uh, our, our state going back to the early 60s. Uh, behind that, of course, are real people with education and minds. And I can assure you that the number of people in Washington that know the ET is real would stun you. The number of people that would, would tell you privately if they had a couple of drinks that, yeah, they know ETs are real, would amaze you. I can assure you there are contactees on the Hill in Congress that have been in, 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 engaged by extraterrestrials. Uh, the reality of, of, the, uh, of, of the, the people up there is just as distorted and surreal is the reality, reality that they have propagated since the denial of the Roswell event in 47. So again, we don't even know what these people really believe and what they really think. They never tell us what they think, and that's just not about ET. It's about everything. So who, who is surprised that we can't get anything right? The terrorists can just fly in and blow up our buildings. Who's surprised that our economy keeps collapsing? And we have a savings and loan scandal and a hedge fund scandal and a banking scandal. We can't get anything right anymore because nobody will even say what they believe. No one believes anything anybody says. Trust has fallen to nothing. The social contract is practically broken. I'm amazed that we can get out of bed in the morning and get this country even going. I'm, not, I'm surprised the whole thing hasn't fallen into sort of a, a, a stupor, right? I think mm-hmm. it's, Well, you may be seeing that actually happen. Consumer spending <laughs> is keeping us from being another Somali, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, hey, I want to wrap it up. I want to let you go. But the, the thing that the last of the two that I want to just get a brief comment from you, a lot of our listeners are, are – interested in spirituality and spiritual mm-hmm. matters. And, and that's one, one thing that I know Lawrence uh, Rockefeller, who I would have liked to have talked about more, maybe have you back. I know he had sort of a dual-track interest in disclosure and also uh, certain spiritual interests that he had and he's pursued. And that thing has had impact in the things yeah. like, uh, what was it, the Human Potential Foundation. Right. And then, then we have the Institute of Noetic Sciences that we have uh, uh, astronaut Mitchell and Dr. Mitchell involved in and other things right. like this. Um, do, do, do you sense this is something I've never heard you, and this is a good closure here. I've never even heard you talk about this in other interviews. Uh, you, you've mentioned the things about having, you know, uh, goals uh, regarding this thing at the beginning of our talk and progress in this issue. Do you sense, and, and do others you know close to in the field, have any kind of um, desires and goals of a spiritual nature about what's going to come out of this contact when it happens? Something that you hope to accomplish for humanity well, first of, through all let this? Let me say this. Uh, most of the thinking out there about how upsetting this would be to religion and how religion would be uh, damaged or uh, fall apart or whatever 
is, is, is nonsense. It, it's propaganda. It's part of the government propaganda to scare everybody into keeping their mouth shut or not supporting efforts to bring the truth out. It's not true. Uh, there is, uh, there is not, there's no real fundamental, uh, fundamental break between spirituality and religion and the fact that there's extraterrestrials in the world. Um, there is possibly in our history some instances where extraterrestrial events were confused for religious events, and that will regard some clarification and sorting out, but that's something that's not catastrophic. Uh, religion is very adaptable. It's not going to have a problem with the ET presence. The Catholic Church has been trying to tell us that for 15 years. And and, and yeah, all this right. stuff about how the evangelicals would go nuts, it's, it, that's all, that's all uh, bigotry. Evangelicals would be just fine. Uh, so uh, the point is, is that religion is not really a barrier. It never was. Uh, and so, uh, right. now, and, 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 and not surprisingly, there are plenty of people who, when they embrace, look at this issue and study it, uh, find all kinds of spiritual uh, connections that they, they think are, 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 are uh, viable. And, and, and look at it from that point of view and can talk at length about it. And I'm, I expect to see more of that. Now, is that right? Wrong? I don't know. I'm simply saying that, that it is yeah. not fundamentally incompatible with spirituality. Uh, high consciousness, even mm-hmm. God. Witnesses, abductees uh, have on occasion asked the uh, ETs, who, who are in some cases literally taking them by, uh, by force, in some cases not, in, into a craft. Uh, they get a, a, a rare opportunity to sort of somehow ask a question, and it will say, do you believe in God? And, and, and invariably the answer is yes. Is there a God? Invariably the answer is yes. Now, are they humoring them? Maybe they're humoring these people. But that's notable. Uh, and ultimately, look, yeah. I don't care how advanced you are. I don't care how many millions of years you're ahead of, 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 uh, of humans in their, in their evolution. Uh, the simple fact is, when asked a question... Where did you come from, or where did the universe come from? I don't even think a million years of evolution, with additional evolution and, and mental development, would would somehow give a being the ability to op- give that a clear cut answer. I don't think any sense mm-hmm. can answer that question. Where did the universe come from, and even where they came from? And so the great mysteries will continue. And so again, <laughs> as I pointed out. We are all victims of the truth embargo, and we and the press and the academics and the college professors and the deans and the members of Congress have all been swimming against a tide of propaganda and manipulation for 62 years. It has slowed us down, it has dragged us down, and it threatens to destroy the country. Now, either we're going to end this or another country will, and then we'll then follow their lead and hopefully get our act together, though it's going to be utterly, utterly humiliating. Uh, or we're going to continue to swim against this tide till we all drown. That's, that's the long and the yeah. short of it. And so if it, people don't, people want mm. that to change, then they need to get on board the truth embargo, uh, the truth wagon, and they need to help us end this truth embargo in every way sure. they possibly can. And one of the most important things is we need some funding. We have been operating this disclosure movement with not enough money to build a decent summer cottage in the Hamptons. All right? The most underfunded political activist movement in all of time, which happens to be dealing with the most profound issue in history. So if some people would snap out of their propaganda uh, a coma and realize, you know, this is all happening and, and provide some money to us, we could get this job done a little faster and a little better, and we could help ensure that the government doesn't try to pull some stunt. 
and finesse the whole thing yeah. and create an even bigger fiasco. So, you know, if you want to now, now if they send you money, I'm sure you they they can donate or they can donate on your website too, correct? They can donate on my website. They can donate to a lot of sites. And I'm I'm really addressing that statement, not at the the the, the average person out there struggling with this economy trying to make ends meet. I, I'm not, I'm not yeah. putting out a call for 5 and $10 checks. I'm talking about the multi-million, multi-multi okay. athletes and entertainers and high-tech. Uh, well, that's most of our audience right yeah, there. Your audience. <laughs> These people that, that, that you know, they make yeah. $40 million a year, they have assets of $200 million. They, Where have they been? Nowhere, right? And Spielberg yeah. has made a billion dollars from movies about extraterrestrials. He hasn't put one that's red true. cent. Into in helping the exopolitical process go forward, but he sure as hell will cash in the day the, uh, the United States government emits the ET presence. Probably make ten more movies, make four billion. Now I happen to respect the man. He's a brilliant man. He's done some very good things. But that is a simple fact. He has made a fortune from this issue, and he's not done one thing to help people who have virtually nothing. Challenge the state, the state that he lives in, on this issue. And there's a lot of other people like Spielberg. Lucas and others who have not done it. And you got to wonder where their head is at, where their heart is at. Mm -hmm. They're so smart, but they sure. can't see this right under their nose. Very upsetting. And it's possible. This would be a much bigger legacy for them than their movies were. If they made an investment in this kind of issue, they, they would, you know, because obviously their egos uh, want to be established as some legacy, and this would be an even bigger legacy for them. A thousand years after all the movies have been. And the, the, the archived movies of E.T. and all the stuff that turned into dust and disappeared. Historians of the future ages will be talking about the people that, that, that stepped forward to end this situation, cut this Gordian knot, and take us into the, the new paradigm. So I don't know what mm -hmm. they value and what they care about. But they do have issues that they support and they do good deeds. But on this one, they have dropped the ball big time. I mean... <laughs> Paul Allen, who's a multi-billionaire, has done nothing to try to challenge the government in this issue, but he gives 15 or so million dollars to SETI to build more radio telescopes to look for alien signals in the sky. To me, that's so beyond absurd that I don't even know what word to describe it with. It's sad. It's pathetic. <laughs> but, you know, it did build some radio telescopes, and one day they'll be used. But, boy, did they use Paul Allen, because SETI is a front organization for the cover-up, always has been. From the day it was created, and the scientists that work in it are either liars, fools, or buffoons, and it's really sad to even think about them. But they sucked Paul Allen wow. in. If with $15 million, we could have closed the deal on this truth embargo probably 10 years ago. This has been going on for a long time. You, you hear my frustration, but let me be clear about this. Whether sure. we ever get a nickel from any of these mega millionaires, this truth embargo is going to end, and end very soon. You can bank on it. Mm -hmm. And you want to be known as a truth seeker, correct? I want to be known as somebody that tried to change the government's policy for the better and, and make truth and transparency the basis for this government instead of lies, mis misunderstanding, misrepresentation, because uh, the Republic cannot stand much more of that. That's what I'm trying to do. That's all yeah. I'm trying to do. Now, in, in closing then, what would be, if this happens, what is your dream of an end game? What's the ultimate thing you want to accomplish is your dream? If you you know if you, this happens and plays out the way you want it to be, full open acknowledgement of the ET presence, eventually followed by full open contact that is at least monitored and, and reported to the world. A complete reform of the secret intelligence operations worldwide, particularly the United States. Uh, a reassessment of of uh, of, our, of all world foreign policies. A movement away from from war as a as a as a tool of political action. 
uh, which I think will be much easier. Uh, the implementation of the energy in order to finally feed and clothe and house all the people, including the 20, 25,000 children that die every day because of the uh, human family. They can't take care of them, so they just die and they throw them in the bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those things could, could be significantly altered over the next, say, five years. That would be... Uh, that would be uh, pretty good. I mean, to ask for anything more than that would be uh, hubris. Uh, that, that, but, <laughs> but but there, there'd be a there'd be a much more enlightened human being. I'm certain as a process of this information as well. Sure, too, right? but let me make a point. All those things I just mentioned, they're all quite doable. I mean, it's not utopia yeah. we're talking about here. That's all quite doable uh, if you just pay attention, look at what's going on, and, and and do the right thing. It's all doable without creating some miraculous utopian state. So again. I ask the American people to decide what, what are the, where are their priorities. Hmm. Well, it makes me almost ashamed because I think of our religious institutions like churches and things like that. These are the kind of things they could have actually been instrumental in doing themselves, and to some degree they have been. But but what could have been? And it's a shame that you know the dream that you had is a dream that every person should have. Well, let's be clear here: the the truth embargo was not created by the church or religious institutions. It was created by it was created by the United States government, directed and. And, mm-hmm. and led by the United States government, the churches. It was that's not their that's not their area of expertise. And let's also be clear that the churches have, on, on times, tried to be positive here, particularly the Catholic Church, which is which is doing a number of things to indicate that it's ready for disclosure. No, the churches are not the uh, the culprit here. They're not they're not the source of concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and 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 this deflection to that is is, is again something we have to be very leery of. This is a United yeah. States government policy implemented in 1947 to 1952 for reasons that were probably justified at the time and legal that has outlived its time, all right, and must end. And the, mm-hmm. and the era uh, is – the two errors that were made were, one, not delimiting and, and keeping tabs on and properly overseeing the, the building of the national security structures. They simply dropped the ball there. And the other was letting the truth embargo go on too long. Those are the two big mistakes they made. I'm not saying they made a mistake in building an NSA or TIA or passing the National Security Act or mm-hmm. building the echelon system per se or uh, or spying on the Soviet Union. Now, they did things that were wrong, but the fundamental stuff they did, I don't know if there was any other option that they had. I'm not challenging their patriotism. I'm not challenging the fundamental reason. Right. I'm simply saying that, you know, you, even if you make a good decision you know, initially, if you don't pay attention – it's like, you know, just because you're driving the car down the road responsibly okay. doesn't help. It's down the line. You fall asleep and drive over a cliff. Uh, it doesn't enough. matter how well you were driving before. Yeah. And so we have taken things over the cliff, and we have got to got to now correct that and do it soon. And, 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 and the, the disclosure movement is going to probably be the, the platform in which a real secrecy reform movement, because what we have to date has been – Milk toast. Uh, a real reform movement right. will begin, and other reform movements, I think, will begin, and we will see some some serious restructuring long overdue, as well as restructuring of foreign policies, as well as realignments of worldview on the part of millions and millions of people who have very poor priorities. And if enough people are able right. to alter their worldview, I think we could we could create a very new world here. This is all there for us without getting into. You know, uh, airy, fairy, conscious stuff and vibrations and whatever without getting into, you know, <laughs> raising your – and I'm, yeah. I'm talking about basic policy. Yeah. You know, 
Uh, you know, candlelight yeah. ma- ma- marches are fine, but it, they don't feed anybody. You got 25,000 kids dying a day. You, you do a candlelight march, 25,000 are going to die the next day. You take care of them with policies and specific actions and new technology implemented. This is fundamental politics. It's exopolitics. That's what the X conference is about. That's what BRG does. And gentlemen, I must mm-hmm. leave you for this evening. I okay. Back. Mr. Yeah. Bassett, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for your time, yeah. uh, ladies and gentlemen. I, I'm going to put your link on our website if you don't mind uh, for your for for your we- website, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Go there, read the information, become fascinated by it, try to make uh, plans to come to the conference, uh, and I think uh, it will open your eyes in so many ways, and it will help you understand a lot of what we talk about on this show. Mr. Bassett, if you can come back in the future uh, when the smoke clears, uh, if we can take a, a more narrow topic after we've done this basic primer. And, and, and mine it to greater depth in the future. I'd sure love to do that because I'd love to have you back. But I know you're in high demand, and so we respect your time. But thank you so much for education, educating our listeners tonight. You're about very all welcome. Good night, Tom. Good night, Mike. Thank Good you, night. and God bless you, Mr. Bassett. Take care. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, no stranger to controversy bionic. Wow. Now, that's interesting that you would use that mental name. Mm-hmm. For this last segment, that was the conclusion of our interview with Stephen Bassett. Indeed, it was. We're, one thing I f- kept forgetting to mention during the week is that he was calling on a cell phone from out in Sedonia, or Sedona, one of those places, yeah. and that's had horrible reception. We had all sorts of breakups and stuff. I'm so sorry about that. It turns out this was the only way we were able to get a hold of a guy mm-hmm. like him. He was actually headed to two meetings, and he figured he could do the do the driving while he was on the phone talking to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he couldn't do it, and then he decided, well, okay, this, you know, I, uh, you know, he graciously decided to sit at an overpass somewhere in Sedona and do this for forever hour and a half long interview forever, yeah. And I just really appreciate what mm-hmm. what he did. A couple of things, just he mentioned in passing, I thought was very interesting. Uh, he mentioned something that that while he didn't really have any negative words to say about evangelicals, he thought they could accommodate this. Okay, he said that we may find out that some prior religious events were actually extraterrestrial events. Mm-hmm. Just said that very quickly mm-hmm. and moved on. And that'll be a very interesting thing to see if Indeed. if these aliens will say, oh well, the resurrection that was really something that we did. We have a we have a three dimensional hologram mi- miracles. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, he said that all oh, that the ETs believe in God too, and um, uh, but that at the same time things will be much the same. He says mm-hmm. the rich will still be rich, mm-hmm. so I guess they're going to be able to get along with the ETs and what's going on and maintain their power. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a lot of food for thought uh, from from an interview like this about what the future mm-hmm. holds. I wish we had more time to talk about it. Check out his X conference if you're interested in doing more research on this from a biblical mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah, it sounded rather affordable for the level of talent yeah. that he has. Well, we need to bring Merv in. Merv, would you come tell our listeners how they can contact us here at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. we got to wrap it up, buddy. All right. Live long and prosper. Got another great interview next week. 
And until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Crowding out old trees, there's revolution.